Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 195. We're recording this on Sunday, October 16th, 2022, at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. We've got Zach. We've got Todd. And uh, Todd, I mean, those Mariners sure gave, sure gave him hell, but yes, it was a good run. For two full games worth yesterday two full games worth yesterday yeah it was a rough day yesterday nebraska lost uh mariners were eliminated the braves were eliminated no one sad about that 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 was the best part of yesterday is seeing the braves and the dodgers get eliminated go national league man i mean now we all know who we're going to root for in the world series at least and uh i gotta say it's it's wonderful being a san diego and philadelphia fan Jack and Miles should be happy. I got married in San Diego. San Diego's where William Miller graduated high school and Penny Lane lives. And I mean, Philadelphia is the home of, you know, Bradley Cooper. I, it, it's it's the best possible scenario. And I could not be happier except that the Mariners lost. That, that was sad to see. But otherwise, yesterday I thought was a great day for baseball. Well, the, the Phillies won two World Series like 15 years ago. Like nobody cares about the Phillies except for Corey Matthews when he was a child. Exactly, um, exactly. Corey Matthews is happy somewhere. The Padres is <laughs> who everyone should be rooting for. Absolutely. The Mariners but, lost that series in game one. As soon as also, they gave up that home run to Jordan Alvarez, it was over. The, and the Padres, just to finish up, the Padres and the Phillies have the two best mascots in all of baseball. We got the San Diego chicken and the Philly Philadelphia fanatic. You cannot get better than both of those. And, you know, it's wonderful seeing 100 win uh, teams that have gotten everything handed to them in the last, you know, on a silver platter, the last eight years get eliminated. I love all the, all the talk on Twitter, like, Oh, let's get rid of this. uh, You know, the, 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 this, uh, the five game series and the best of five and, you know, a hundred win teams shouldn't lose to 89 win teams. Yeah. Right. That's what makes baseball great. God damn it. Except it should have been the 80, 89 win Mariners that should have beat the, the 100 win uh, Astros got the wrong, wrong league. I think I saw somewhere on Twitter that, uh, that they said like the best, the best playoffs that set up the best team, the best teams to win is the NBA. And I was like, if baseball were to set up their odds the same way the NBA does, they would have to have like a best of 61 series. Um, to, well, to, it, for the odds to match even up. More screwed up because the best teams had to sit for like a week. And yeah. like, at no point during the season do you do that. You have like four days off kind of for the all-star game, but your best players are still playing. So, I mean, it, it was a weird format this year instead of just a one-game wildcard thing. Yeah, that was a little odd. I thought it was beautiful. And, and I thought, you know, had the Braves and Dodgers just advanced, we wouldn't be talking about it. Because what difference would it make? This gets the, the Braves are my team conversation <laughs> going. Do you know that I, I don't even remember that Braves World Series last year? I couldn't tell you one thing about that World Series, except I didn't I don't think I watched a second of it because it was 
a, te- a cheaters versus a team I really dislike. And uh, at least this year it'll be fun. We got a, a great, at least one great mascot in the World Series, and hopefully the other mascot is the Guardians. What is their mascot? I don't know. What is their mascot? <laughs> a bridge. I mean that that's it's named after the the like statues on the bridge outside the stadium are the guardians to the city. Can't Marvel get in on this? I mean, we could get Chris Pratt involved. Like, I think I think there's some possibilities here. Uh, any uh any degenerate updates you guys have for us? I I I lost a big parlay because California decided to lose to the worst Power Five team since like 2008 Wazoo, and they lost to Colorado. It was ugly. It was three nothing at halftime. Mm. All I needed was for them to win. I didn't even take the 15 and a half point spread. I just took the minus like 600 as part of my parlay just to boost uh, the number a little bit. So that that one stung. Well, uh, I'm I'm really happy right now that I bet the over in this uh, Cardinal Seahawks game. So, uh, oh yeah, I did that too. I, I got a fifty and a half. I was pretty happy yep. about that. Yeah, I, I I was happy about it too. And it's twelve to three Seahawks at the almost the end of the third quarter. It's a great day to have Kyler Murray on your fantasy team too. Right. Yeah, I've got him on one team. I, I almost put money on the 49ers, and then I remembered that I've lost money every time I put money on them, and I'm really glad I didn't. How did they suck? Well, yeah, it was. Yes, it was the first week I took out Brandon Ayuk. I had him in two two leagues. I played him every week, and this and he gets two touchdowns in the first quarter. I'm like, you. I hate that team even worse now. Okay, but you know who plays tomorrow night? Are my Denver Broncos, the cash cow of the 2022 betting season for me, and I love the Broncos to cover and the under. You heard it here. I've, I've, every time I bet on the Broncos, I've won money. They are a perfectly wonderful, underachieving team. So I love them tomorrow night. You heard it here for first, America. Yes, you heard it here first when you'll hear this a day or two after the game has been played. Well, uh, let's talk about what we're drinking. Zach, what are you drinking? I what I've been drinking all week, unfortunately, water. I'm I'm recovering from COVID nineteen. I'm in the the late stages of it. If you listened last week, uh, it was it was it was a pretty brutal go, but uh, I have made it through the week. I survived. Um, watched a lot of movies, but unfortunately, I can't report on many of them because I fell asleep during a bunch of them. So, <laughs> thanks COVID. But is that really different than my normal schedule? Probably not. So. Um, yeah, all I can say is, uh, you know, get get uh, the cough drops. The cough drops are are the the real MVP of, of my COVID experience. I couldn't live without them. And of course, knowing that I had the Tootsie deep dive later this week as as the real sort of incentive to get through it. Absolutely. There we go. There we go. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking some Pinot Noir. It's the Angeline. Uh, from the Russian River Valley from 2020. Uh, apparently, it's in Sonoma County, California. And I don't know, it tastes pretty cheap. I don't remember when I got this, but uh, it tastes cheap, but it's going to be it's drinkable. Very nice. That, that That's a ringing endorsement there. It's drinkable. Yeah. If, our, if our podcast had a flavor, it would be cheap wine, right? Probably. Probably. 
Well, for me this week, I have an oldie but a goodie. One of my favorites. It's Irish Death. Very nice. Can't go wrong with Irish Death. And for for the movie that's randomly in the background here, you can kind of see it there. Uh, My random uh, DVD selection landed on Two Lovers. James Gray. James Gray starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Gwyneth Paltrow. Famously, the last movie of uh, Joaquin Phoenix's career, you know, 10 years before he won an Oscar. He became um, a uh, R&B artist, I believe, right? Yes. Or no, yes, great dancer. One of the, all one for of the, the uh, all for the documentary. So, uh, yeah, yep, that's that's what that's what's going on in the background here. Well, let's get into this first. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Look on almostsideways.com uh, for all the updates on everything going on. Um, before. Let's do this before we get into our, uh, our, what we've been watching and the reviews and all that stuff. We have something to pay off from last week. We did our draft of the <laughs> 2002 best picture. We put a poll out there to see who had the best list. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we've moved up in the world. We had eight votes this time instead of seven. So nice way to go. Almost sideways crew. A thumbs up to you. So just, just a review here. Todd had the first pick and he went, talk to her. My big fat Greek wedding bowling from Columbine minority report and Spider-Man. I had the second pick and went far from heaven. Catch me if you can. Frida wrote to perdition about a boy. Zach went adaptation about Schmidt spirited away 25th hour and Antoine Fisher. Uh, so, in third place, somehow, is me. I had one <laughs> vote, and I think that was me. Um, See, I don't even get to vote for myself. So. Yeah, because you're, you're not on... It actually said, when I, listed, uh, when I listed it, I put all the Twitter handles, and I said, here's Todd's list. Still too cool to be on Twitter. Um, in second place, with three votes, is Todd. And in oh. first place, with four votes, half the votes is Zach. When one of his is, so we actually tied. Yeah, we had several what? comments that it was very, very, that this was very close. Like, all of them were really, really good lists. So, it was a good list. I, the one, my pick that I'm proud of, I don't really have anything bad to say about your guys' list. I, I, if, going back to last week, a lot of them I would have picked. Uh, I, I definitely would have picked Catch Me If You Can had I had that pick. Uh, I think what put my list over the top was Spirited Away. You know, you get those fans out there that love the Miyazaki stuff. It's a movie that everybody just loves. It's it's the popular pick, I think. Uh, but uh, thank you to the four folks out there who voted for me. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm here for you. Was one of them you? The one fans. of them was you, right? One of them might have been me. But I promise none of my students did it because, you know, they don't watch movies. It, it didn't involve Netflix. So, I, and they, are you you're kidding? They're, they're not on Twitter. <laughs> i don't even think they know what twitter is they're, they're all they're all on, on the tiktok exactly this was not a tiktok poll so uh, yeah irrelevant so we need to get someone be dancing on the poll what question next time exactly yep all right sorry i had just a minor break there when michael dixon got scared to punt the ball and instead got 
murdered in the end zone for fumbled it for a touchdown. See, what made it worth it was, you know, Terry was like the Dodgers. You know, he thought, oh, I'm just going to, you know, cruise my way past these little Padres and it's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to win one vote for Terry. And it was him. And it was, and it was me. Shows how much your preparation played into it, Terry. Yeah. I thought I, I still thought I had the best list, but whatever. Okay. Well, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, we uh we're gonna talk about some stuff we watched and then we're gonna do uh we're gonna do round robin featured reviews this week as uh there was nothing that was something that we all decided we were gonna watch so we all watched pick some other stuff that was new stuff to watch so uh if you're as confused as i am by what i just said then join us so uh we're gonna start <laughs> we're gonna start with todd Okay, I caught this movie called Significant Other, which is directed by Robert Olson and Dan Burke. It came out just a couple weeks ago. And it's about Ruth and Harry. They're just this young couple and they're in love. Ruth is played by Micah Monroe from It Follows. And Harry is played by Jake Lacey. And I don't know who Jake Lacey is. I remember him from Carol, but it seems like the kind of guy who Zach would say is like so-and-so's ex from Grey's Anatomy or some shit. But... um I don't know who he is, but uh, I don't know. There's this couple that go hiking in the Pacific Northwest, and he's uh, like, he's like really into that kind of thing, and she's like really not. And while they're there, he like proposes, and some weird out of body anxiety things starts happening to her. And then it's not really a horror movie; it's more of like a mystery. But there are some like freaky things that happen. Um, it's sort of compelling. It's really sort of paranoid. It, it kind of has that format of like when like the sort of alien host movie kind of thing was like going on like mid 2000s or so um it keeps the details from the audience for a while though the, the actors are pretty wooden which i think actually sort of helps it it's it's so it's weird it's a ponderous movie um i'm not sure it's actually good but it is it is watchable it's, it's just a movie that is almost clearly inspired by a, like a contemporary like ari aster it's just strange that we're in a situation where that's even possible now I'm giving it two stars. It's on. It's on Paramount Plus. Uh, if if that kind of thing sounds um, interesting to you, then I mean, it, it might be worth your time. All right. Yeah. How hasn't Micah Monroe made a movie with Ari Aster yet? That seems like a natural fit. And yeah, Jake Lacey. Shout out to Jake Lacey. Uh, I actually watched him in something this week. I wasn't prepared to review, but that Friend of the Family show. Uh, about the guy in the 70s who abducts the neighbor girl. He's in that. He's actually really good in that. And he was also in, um, he's in something else too. Uh, oh, The White Lotus. Uh, and he, I, I like him a lot in that show. So yeah, you are right to predict that I have familiarity with him. I think he's a pretty good actor, actually. I remember him being good in Carol, but I was like, that's the only time I've seen him. But he does have one of those faces that I feel like he could be in a lot of things. He was uh he was in the last season of The Office, wasn't he? And he was apparently in the uh, the remake of High Fidelity, um, which I did watch, although I, do, I really don't remember his character very much. Zoe Kravitz. All right, Zach, you're next. Okay, I watched a great great movie from the 1980s, and that movie is Nine and a Half Weeks. It's so good that I even texted Todd about it. I broke our rule. But it was such a freaking good movie. It's um, Adrian Lyne directed. You know, directors like Adrian Lyne come around once every 25, 30 years. And there's a reason why. Because this was, I think, one of the best erotic dramas of this era that launched movies like 
fatal attraction and basic instinct and disclosure. Um, and Michael Douglas isn't in it, remarkably. Uh, Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger are the main leads. Their names are John and Elizabeth. And uh, they meet um, and have passionate, anonymous sex for nine and a half weeks, believe it or not. And uh, we, the movie's um, told more through uh, Kim Basinger's perspective. She works at an art gallery. And um, we don't really know too much about the Mickey Rourke character, just that he does something on Wall Street. It's basically sort of a prototype of Fifty Shades of Grey. They get into some bondage and some fetish things. Uh, there's a famous sequence in the movie where he feeds her food. Um, and the movie kind of sounds lurid and trashy, but actually, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. I actually think it's a, it's a great movie. Uh, Adrian Lyne is really, honestly, an underrated director, not just because Mickey said so. Um, I've liked pretty much every movie that he's ever done. I've not seen the most recent one he did with Ana de Armas and Ben Affleck. I don't know. If, I, I heard that one was not very good. Um, but for uh, nine and a half weeks, I think, is outstanding. Uh, it does what, what Adrian Lyne does best. It gives a sort of classy... Uh, mysterious look to what is essentially a porno plot, but is really well acted. And it's actually not as explicit or as graphic as you might think it is. Um, it's uh, fascinating to watch these people just have a, a relationship that's defined by its anonymity and by increasingly raising the stakes sexually. Um, and I think both actors are tremendous in it. Allegedly, there's like a 15-hour cut of it somewhere, which is fascinating to me. Originally, there was a five-hour cut, which was the first cut of it. Too bad Chimino didn't direct it. I give it four stars. I think it's one of the essential movies of the 80s. Somehow it got nominated for some Golden Raspberry Awards, which is just garbage. I, I think it's actually a really good movie. Ebert gave it three and a half stars, and it is inexplicable and unacceptable how Todd has not seen this, because this, to me... Is not, it's it, I you know the wrestler will always be the pinnacle of the Mickey experience, but this is vintage classic Mickey, and you cannot get better than it. Yeah, I mean, I probably should have seen it. It's a great. <laughs> it's getting assigned to you the next time I win tri trivia in you know April twenty twenty four. Very nice. Very nice. All I right. do want to watch the sequel another nine and a half weeks, which is direct to video from 1997. Sorry, go ahead, Terry. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, now on to my uh, my Oscar watch for the week. Uh, going back 20 years, and so I feel like you guys should definitely get this, considering we spent like a half hour last week talking about the 2002 Oscars. But uh, it's a sole original screenplay nominee. Was it on one of our lists? It was not on one of our lists. That's wow. all you need to know, right there. It was. It was a. It was an The only screenplay nominee that did not end up on one of our lists. White Oleander. No. No. That was probably adapted. I think it was adapted, actually. Uh... Wow. I'm I'm shocked it is taking this long. Like even we even mentioned it at the end, and we were like, yeah, there's no way this was ever going to get a best picture nomination, though. And it's a weird it even got the screenplay nomination. I foreign really language. Foreign language. It lost to another movie written in the same language. In mm. best original screenplay in 2002. Oh, E tu mama tambien. E tu mama tambien. Ah. And uh, I think it's fitting that I go after Zach because uh, yeah, talk about something that could have been a porno plot. 
we have so this movie it's written by uh alfonso Cuaron and his brother carlos it's directed by alfonso Cuaron. um somehow it makes sense that this was the movie he did before he did harry potter um i don't know why it would ever make sense but it, it's just an odd he's got such an eclectic filmography he's done a little bit of everything anyways this movie uh stars uh diego luna gail garcia bernal and mari belverdu and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal plays Julio. Diego Luno plays Tainok. And they are best friends that are these like somewhere between high school and college. Uh, and just these horny teenagers that are going around causing all sorts of mischief, have way too much time on their hands and uh, not enough to do. Uh, Mary Belverdu is uh, plays Luisa. She is a friend of the family, and they run into her at a family function, and uh, randomly, you know, start hitting on her and saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna go to the beach. You should come with us." And uh, through a series of uh, tragic events in her life, she's like, "Why the hell not?" And decides to go along, and it creates this kind of crazy love triangle as she's kind of living a life of no regrets and uh julio and tenok are living a life of who really knows um but uh it it's a fascinating story uh especially uh from the perspective of luisa mary belverdu gives an amazing performance here um gail garcia bernal and diego luna are oddly fascinating and as they are insanely young in this <laughs> um which is i mean gail garcia bernal i mean he's younger he was younger when he did amores peros but he looks younger in this and plays younger um it is uh it there's a lot of interesting you know intertwining of these three and their relationships that happen throughout but uh it's a fascinating movie. Uh, the more I thought about it, the more I loved it. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting is it constantly breaks into this uh, third-person narration, which really, I think, at first, it, it's like, what is going on? But it really provides some really interesting context, especially how the story ends up and uh, how it really wants to bring home the fact that this is just a slice of life between these three characters. Uh, three and a half star movie it's it's really uh it's really a fascinating one that i i really got into that you know you gotta you kind of gotta to warm up to and live in for a little while and once you do it it's it's really really good yeah that was a good era for those erotic dramas like the i always put that in the category of like the dreamers that was another one right around yeah that yeah similar kind of thing yeah i remember liking it i haven't seen it in a long time so Randomly, I I bought it from uh, I brought it from somewhere, and so I it was one of the ones I had on my shelf that I hadn't watched yet, so I didn't have to go searching for it too hard. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I own the Criterion um, dual format edition of it, which is now considered out of print, and uh, I have never seen it. Oh, just sitting there on the so yeah, I've I've always wanted to see. I, I know Ebert was a big fan of it. He put it on his top ten of two thousand two. Uh, I just have never gotten around to it. I think I've watched the first thirty minutes of it, which very much resembled the opening thirty minutes of Wedding Crashers. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> uh, 
Cool. All right. Well, there we go. That's what we've been watching. Now it's time for our round robin featured reviews. And let's go around the circle again, starting with Todd. All right. I watched the conclusion of the David Gordon Green Halloween saga, Halloween Ends. And um, so this one it takes place four years after the last one, uh, uh, which because that one took place like right after the 2018 one, I guess, uh, Halloween Kills did. Uh, but it it starts out focused on this like weird, socially awkward guy named Corey played by Rohan Campbell. And he gets into this weird situation when he's babysitting this kid and the kid turns up dead and uh, he's blamed for it. Uh, but he gets off and this kind of rubs Lori the wrong way because she um, she can kind of relate to the fact that he's now this like outcast in the city and he's and he's getting bullied. So they sort of have a rapport. And then eventually this guy, Corey, comes across Michael and uh, that's where things really kind of take off. And because uh, they have uh, some sort of connection as well. And I mean, I love these movies more than basically anybody else. I really liked Halloween Kills, which is saying something. Halloween 2018, I think, is probably the best movie of that year. Um, this one's pretty damn effective. Like, it starts out kind of like a 90s slasher or something like that, implying that it's almost kind of a different movie. Um, it has this, like, culmination feel of, like, the last season of a TV show. Like, this is absolutely the end of this. Um, there are times when it feels like a remake, but it also then gives you a reason why it exists. It, it takes a lot of swings at a lot of things. It has it has a lot of topics that it's uh, addressing. Uh, the characters, other than the main ones, are sort of like David Gordon Green comedy like caricatures, uh, which is weird to put in one of his, one of these kind of movies. It, it, there is very little violence, honestly. It's it, it is more ponderous. Um, I, I love that Will Patton is now just like cast as the pariah in like small towns. That's all he ever does now. Um, and it, well, the weird thing about this one is Michael is not in it very much. He's like sort of Kaiser Sose in this. Like he's like a myth, like like a, a spook story. Um, and uh, so it, it does lose a little bit of drama there. Um, it, it's satisfying to me. It's like Clerks 3. It's like a proper ending to this three film saga. And uh, it's disturbing and kind of hopeful. It's It's a really sort of a different kind of movie. And, uh, yeah, easy three stars. So did you watch this uh, in, in theaters or at home on Peacock? <coughs> I watched it on Peacock. Uh. So the word on the street is that all the fans <coughs> do not like this movie because Michael apparently does not appear for the first 50 minutes, and much of the movie is devoted to the Corey character. So, I mean, what what, what is your take on that? <coughs> It is weird to start with a brand new character when it's the last movie in the saga, but I didn't think it was that bad because when Michael comes along, it is really kind of cool. I saw somewhere that it said that uh, if you liked the first one, or no, 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 if you liked Halloween Kills, you're going to hate Halloween Ends, and if you hated Halloween Ends, you're going to like, ho or if you hated Halloween Kills, then you're going to like Halloween Ends. Does, does that sound like something that does that sound I, right, Todd? I don't know. That that seems really simplistic, but I can kind of see it. Okay. But I like all three of them. Yeah, I know a lot of people liked the first one and hated the second one, so. Well, this one doesn't oh. seem to be doing too hot with the critics either. I mean, a lot of people seem unsatisfied by it. <clears throat> it had a good box office. I was just going to say, what did the box office look like this weekend? 
41 million <laughs> for a day and day it got 41 million wow following kills did the same thing uh, i think probably a little bit more actually number two is smile once again 12 million number three lyle lyle crocodile number four woman king Five, Amsterdam. Six, Don't Worry Darling. Seven, Barbarian. Eight, Bros. Nine, Terrifier 2. And number 10, in its 21st week, Top Gun Maverick still hanging on to the top 10 of the box office. Uh, all right. Well, cool. I haven't seen any any Halloween movie, period. So I have nothing else to say on your review. But uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've I've seen the first one, and I think I've seen the second one, and I love the first one. At some point, I will see the David Gordon Green movies. I I really want to. I don't know why I haven't. But all right, Zach, what is your featured review for the week? All right, my featured review is a film that won the uh, Camera Door at the at last year's Cam Film Festival. Um, and I, I'm suspecting that it might be the Croatian submission to the 2022 Academy Awards, if, if there is one. And that film is called Marina, uh, and it is it, directed by Antonetta Almat Kuznovic, something like that. And uh, it's currently available on Canopy. And uh, it stars Grazia uh, Filipovic as Yulia. And um, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Yulia, uh, she lives with her mother and father on the Adriatic Sea. And um, she, with her father, they go fishing together and uh, they catch eel. And I think Marina, by the way, is like the Croat word for eel. I could be mistaken in that. Um, but uh, the family is unhappy um, in part because they're broke and they have these aspirations of moving to the city and selling the land to uh, one of the father's old friends. And uh, Terry, I think you know. Any anytime you get an old friend character, it has to have the name of Javi. 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 That's all I could think of while watching this movie. Is you know set on the yes. European coastline Javi. with this in, it, this uh, dynamic and exciting friend of Javi coming along. Uh, so Javi comes along, and uh, the father, uh, Yulia's father, tries to convince him to buy this land so they can move upward, upwardly mobile in the world. And uh, basically, though, the cracks kind of fall through, and this Javi sees that the family is really uh, dysfunctional, leads to a kind of a breaking point where Yulia confronts her father and basically begs Javi to uh, take her off uh, with him, uh, touring the world. Apparently, he's some sort of rich industrialist. Um, I like this movie. Uh, it definitely has some shades of like the lost daughter from last year in the sense that, you know, it's this kind of scenic vacation-esque setting and these characters who kind of have dark secrets hidden beneath them. Um, and it's also kind of about this very fractured father-daughter relationship and mother-daughter relationship, quite frankly. There's a lot of sexual tension um, in the setting. I was also reminded a little bit of a bigger splash. Um, uh and uh, uh, and and even a little bit of Polanski's knife in the water, which always you know kind of, it, that that setting of having you know th three or four people isolated in the ocean is always sort of a, a, a great setup. Um, I thought the main performance by the actress who plays the the, the main character Yulia 
Um, she was she was awesome. I mean, there's some really nice underwater scenes in this movie where she goes hunting with her father, and you think, uh, oh, maybe she will just use the gun and kill her father. Uh, we're not totally sure. The movie kind of has an ambiguous ending that recalls the 400 blows. It just sort of ends with her sort of swimming around, wondering, and we're left to wonder what, what this girl does in her life. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a great movie, but I did enjoy it, and I give it a, a solid uh, three stars. Um, it's a movie that is very much uh, kind of a slow burn, uh, sort of a character study. I, I wish we knew a little bit more about this backstory that becomes important as the movie goes along. But uh, as a movie about uh, this girl who really hates her parents um, and is isolated in this village, uh, I think it, it, it does a serviceable job, and it's got good performances. And a character named Javi. It's always going to get a thumbs up for me at this point. So, yeah, it, it, it's good. Check it out. It's on Canopy. It's got, I think, 1,700 <laughs> views. Votes. All right. Very good. Very good. One of the few movies that didn't put me to sleep somehow. All right. Well, let's move on to my featured review. And I did not go to the theater this week. Because for some reason, there were a lot of great releases, but the only actual wide release in theaters for this weekend was Halloween Ends. And I didn't want to see that if I haven't seen any of the others. But, you know, Till came out this weekend, not anywhere near us. And Decision to Leave came out this weekend, not anywhere near us. So uh, we were left with what what there was left. So I, I caught a streaming uh, release for this weekend. And I decided to watch Rosalind. Uh, this is a straight to Hulu movie. Uh, and it is directed by Karen Main, who uh, this is her second directed movie. She wrote and directed Yes, God, Yes, a couple years ago. She also is the writer of Obvious Child from uh, 2014 uh, with um, um, Jenny Slate. Uh, anyways. So now we have Rosalind, and this is based on a book by Rebecca Surley, and this stars uh, Caitlin Deaver as Rosalind, and it's a retelling of Romeo and Juliet uh, through the eyes of Romeo's ex-girlfriend, Rosalind. And uh, the story goes, uh, Romeo and Rosalind were very much in love, Rosalind also being uh, a, a Capulet, uh, and so it was... Uh, a similar, you know, forbidden love. And there was a, um, an event that they were going to meet up at and Rosalind couldn't make it last minute. And instead Romeo runs into Juliet, who's played by Isabella Merced, who is probably most known for playing the live action Dora, the Explorer in the movie that came out a couple years ago. Uh, and so now, Rosalind is wanting to get Romeo back and trying to sabotage the relationship. And uh, it's just not it. it hijinks ensue. Uh, it is set in Shakespearean time, but using very modern language, very modern humor. And in the trailer, it kind of looked like it could be a lot of fun. But then after like five minutes of it, you realize, no, no, the way this ended up getting written is not not fun at all. It's kind of annoying and I have to sit through it all. Uh, it's got a decent cast like Caitlin Deaver is good. Uh, her father's played by Bradley Whitford. Her nurse is played by Minnie Driver. 
Uh, Lord Capulet is played by Christopher McDonald. I mean, you've got some notable faces and names that are that are fun to see in here, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't hit the mark. It's not funny. It's not uh, it's not entertaining. But like the tone it went for, you either like it or you don't. And I didn't. It just didn't work at all. Uh, One star. One of the worst movies of the year. It just was. No, no. Yeah, and see, that was one of the movies we had discussed as potentially uh, reviewing together this week. So you really took one for the team there, Terry. I appreciate I, it. I thought it looked clever. I thought it looked like it could have been all right. And yeah, like I said, within five minutes, I, I went, what did I do? Uh, sounds pretty good reviews. I mean, 79% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I, that's it. It's interesting. It's that you Metacritic. Interesting that you uh, gave it the one star. You never go that low. I know, I yeah, know, that's, but it's kind of shocking. Like the, the and this was like totally up my wife's alley, and she was even, but like we're like a half hour in, and she goes for the story it promised. This is taking a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it it, it even it, it takes forever to develop, even though it's a ninety five minute movie, and you have to deal with whatever. It, I mean, it it makes Romeo and Juliet sound like a high school teen rom-com from like it, it's Caitlin Deaver so it's like her character in Booksmart thrown into thrown into Shakespearean England so which of the three Mariners losses were you watching this during I watched it last night after after the <laughs> so, third so that loss makes sense. yeah and I, I may have fallen asleep it. partway through too and uh but yeah just wasn't, wasn't it was free working. though it was it was free it was on hulu only cost me my time all right so there's our featured reviews we're moving on to a comedy that is funny a comedy that is worth it because today we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of tootsie Sorry, you're too tall. I can be shorter. Nah, can't use you. Too short. Oh, I can be taller. Too moody. Next. Too old. Too stubborn. You're too much trouble. Too tough. Too temperamental. Too pushy. Too difficult. Michael, no one will hire you. Just watch me. This is going to be a lot of fun. This I, I forgot how much fun this movie was until I watched it. Uh, Todd, you are hosting trivia. Tell us what's going on. All right. Well, since Zach is the expert, we are starting with Terry. So, Zach, unplug. We have 13 questions worth 15 points, I think. A couple of them could be like sort of tiebreakers, I guess, but I'll just give them all to you. Um, How long have Sandy and Michael been friends? Uh, 10 years? It was six years. Six years. Um, when Jeff is monologuing at the birthday party, what are they drinking? I'm not going to get this, but I, I... It's very prominently displayed. Like, I think everyone's actually drinking it at the party. It was TBR. Budweiser. Budweiser, yeah. Uh, why didn't Sandy bring enough money for a cab? Um, 
I don't know. It's cheaper to get mugged. Which is definitely like a Phoebe line or something. Um, uh, who got the part in uh, in The Iceman Cometh? Terry Bishop. That is correct. Uh, what poster is sitting on Sandy's bookshelf? Is it 9 to 5. Just... No, it's not a movie poster. It just says Asia. Which <laughs> I was like... I was just thinking like in the 40-year-old version. Who, who has an Asia poster? You know, and... <laughs> She does. It just it just says Asia. Um, it just says Asia. Uh, what uh, what is on Sandy's pillowcases? What what food is on Sandy's pillowcases? What food? Good grief! Uh, tomatoes. Uh, they're strawberries. Okay, that um, makes more sense. Uh, what what two reasons does Julie give for why she drinks so much? Helps her fall asleep. And helps her to forget. No, uh, it, it, it's not fattening, and it's not good for her. And she says, "What?" That's right. What, I know. The, I know the line now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can hear what, the line. I just couldn't remember what it actually said. Yeah. What, what poster uh, is on the wall at the cocktail party? It's oh, something that I wouldn't just. That you oh. definitely should notice because of the year. <laughs> it's a poster it's of behind the bar. A movie. Yeah, it's behind the bar. Um, crap. I wanna, is it? It's like a Clint Eastwood movie. A Dirty Harry. It's not. It is. It's Amadeus. Oh yes. Which I think it's for the play because the movie didn't come out for another two years, right? Yeah, I looked it up. Point. The play has the same uh, the same logo. I think that it must have been for the play. But um, uh, what fruit is Jeff eating? What fruit is Jeff eating? He's got a plate of fruit and he's eating it while he's talking to Michael. <laughs> he's eating lemons, slices of lemons. Um, <laughs> How many Best Picture nominees has Bill Murray been in? And I'll give you oh, another wow. point if you can name all and name all of them. Well, Tootsie. That's one. Lost in Translation. That's two. Um, it might just be two. I'm gonna say two. Uh, it's actually three. He was in uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh. So you are still sitting at one point, Terry. Um, uh, where is this on Zach's top 100? 43. Okay, I'll, I'll let's see where, where Zach gets on that one. <clears throat> um, this is uh, Colin Cowherd's second favorite comedy. What is his first? It was a very <laughs> famous clip that went around like while he was still working for ESPN where him and Greeny were oh, yeah, that's arguing right. about comedies. Um. Yeah. Very similar plot. Very, very. Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, I remember that now. And what two AFI lists did this movie appear on, and in what place? If you get within like five of the spot, I'll just give you the point. Uh, I'm gonna say comedies and heroes. 
Comedies is correct. Heroes is not. It was on the top 100 films. Oh. Um, and w- what place was it on the comedies list? Six. It was two, so I'll give you another point. Um, so, yeah, that is the last question. You got four points, maybe five, and I think Zach is going to absolutely destroy you. Zach is going to destroy me. Okay. Zach's back. Zach's back. Uh, so Terry, um, all right. Uh, t- Terry uh, had an answer for most of the questions. <laughs> well, that's good. That's saying something. <laughs> most of them were wrong. Uh, he got four points out of a possible. I think there's actually 17 points possible. Uh, if 13 questions. Okay, let's do this. How long has Sandy been friends with Michael? Eight years. Six it years. Six years. Yeah. So, no, you were wrong. Um, well, when Jeff is monologuing at the birthday party, what are they all drinking? Uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. That's what I said. <laughs> no, everybody at the party is drinking Budweiser. Oh, okay. I'm, I said Paps Blue Ribbon because I just watched the first hour of The Greatest Beer Run Ever, and that's what they were all drinking in that movie. And by the way, Terry, you were exactly right. Uh, it's exactly what I thought of it. Two stars, unmemorable. And yeah, gave up on it. you only yeah. watched an hour yeah. of it. I I was done with it. I I had enough. You went to give him all beer. Yeah, it, I had enough. When he sat in the pile of elephant dung, I'm like, I'm out. Peace out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Um. Why I, I should have Sand- said six years. God damn it. I'm dumb. All right, go ahead. Why okay. didn't Sandy bring enough money for a cab? Uh, just after leaving the party. This is a Terry um, question, by the way. It's like she says something about how uh, you can walk anywhere in the street and get mugged. So something along those lines, get mugged for free or something like that. Yeah, you're basically right. I'll give you like a half a point, though. It, it, he, she says it's cheaper to get mugged. Okay. So we um, know when uh, you, we, we know you watched the first ten minutes of the movie, Todd. Yeah, I mean, well, it, okay. Uh, who got the party in the Iceman cometh? Uh, Terry Bishop. Asshole. That's I got it right. That was one I got right. Now, interestingly, in the deleted scenes, it is revealed that Terry Bishop was a one-time former roommate of Michael's. Only adding fuel to the fire. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Todd. What poster is sitting on Sandy's bookshelf? No it's idea. Not, it's not necessarily a movie. I don't know. I um, actually have a big uh, base. But it's a poster that just says Asia. Nice. Just like Andy and the 40 year old virgin. It's just an Asia poster. Uh, what fruit is on Sandy's pillowcases? Food. What food? Marshmallows. Strawberries. Uh, what two reasons does Julie give for why she drinks so much? Because uh, it it's it's uh, it doesn't make you get fat, and it's. I think she says it's cheap. She says it's not fattening and it's not good for her. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So you got one point there. Terry is leading four to two. Um, what poster is on the wall at the cocktail party? Amadeus. Amadeus is correct. Two years before it became a movie. Did you get that, Terry? No, I knew I knew exactly where it was, but I couldn't remember what the poster was. It's a, I'm pretty sure it's a poster for the play, though. Right. The, right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's the same logo. Um, what fruit is Jeff eating when he's talking to Michael? 
banana. I don't know. I don't know what he's, you're talking he's about. He's eating a plate of lemons. Nice. Um, Lots of food questions. I, I was not prepared for the level of culinary related <laughs> questions, but okay. Uh, how many Best Picture nominees has Bill Murray been in? And you get an extra point if you can name them. Okay, well, this one, uh, Lost in Translation. Um, I, the greatest beer run ever, I, I could imagine getting a Best Picture nomination, but I, I'm guessing you're not going to count that. Uh, and I'm guessing there's one I'm missing, so I'm going to say three. Three is correct, and you don't know the other one. I can't remember the other one now. It was uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay, never would have got that. Uh, where is this on your top 100? Uh, 61. It's close. Uh, you get the I, you are closer than Terry, so you get another point. Um, it is 68, one, mm. one short of uh, Rachel getting married. That's right, Rachel getting married by 69. <laughs> um, this is Colin Cowherd's second favorite comedy. What is his favorite comedy? That's random. Um, I'm going to say uh, Slapshot. Uh, no, it was the Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, well, there's a theme. Okay. It was, like a, yeah, it was, it was really... also a fan of Victor Victoria. <laughs> Maybe. But it was like this clip uh, on YouTube of him and Greeny on their radio shows arguing about comedies like days apart from each other. It was pretty funny. Um, I'm like it hot. Yeah, probably. And uh, what two AFI lists did this appear on? And uh, in what place? If you get within five of the number, then I'll give you the point. Well, the, it had to be the biggest laughs. And that was correct. I believe it was really high on that one. I want to say it was like number two. It was two. And uh, top 100, I'm going to guess 70. Thanks. You were pretty close. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was number sixty-two and number sixty-nine on the revised one, so that's another point. And that was the last question, so that's nine and a half to four. Zach wins, although it did look shaky there for a little while. Well, what was, <laughs> what the hell is with all the food questions? Like, I don't remember what he was eating. I, I don't. He's remember eating, eating lemons. How often do you see anybody eating lemons? The only so, thing, the only point I remember food in this movie is when they're working at the restaurant in the first few minutes, and he's like, "I taste the food," so that when they ask me how it tastes, I can tell them how it tastes or something like that. So, are you saying that this uh, that it's number 68 on Zach's list and 69 on the AFI list. That's yes. really random. And it's more random than Colin Coward's second favorite movie. I mean, that's. <laughs> well, I as soon as when he mentioned the clip, I remembered. I remember the clip. Yeah, because he said his favorite comedy is Mrs. Doubtfire. And Greeny's like, at no point does that enter the discussion. So he's <laughs> like, I like movies like Animal House and Arthur and uh, Stripes. He's like, <laughs> and then, and then Colin's like, those are bad movies. Like, he's like, like Tootsie, Tootsie's funny. Tootsie's like Mrs. Doubtfire. It's a real movie, you know, and you know, it's the, the way that he does. Stripes is hilarious. We should deep dive Stripes, right, Terry? Never. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, they're Bill Murray. Yeah. All right. Yeah, look at that best, clip. It's really didn't funny. get a best picture nomination. Well, Zach, you're the one that picked this, so uh, tell us all about Tootsie and your experience with it. What makes it a top 100 movie of all time? 
Well, I love Tootsie. Uh, it's a classic. I grew up watching it. Uh, you know, my my family uh, was big on uh, my dad, especially was big on the whole like you have to like movies that are well written um, in order to be an aristocrat. And, uh, you know, anyone can make an animal house. Anyone can make a dumb and dumber. But, you know, you have to have uh, intelligent dialogue. Right. So uh, this is a movie that, uh, you know, I, I think uh, there's a sort of um, intelligence to this movie that uh, a lot of comedies lack. And uh, as my favorite movie is Kramer versus Kramer, uh, this movie is not too far removed from that. It is only a uh, few years after Dustin Hoffman in that movie, and uh, the character is not too different. Uh, both movies take place in New York City. Both movies are about uh, a, a sort of asshole who uh, learns to um, become a better person by um, charging his inner, inner female uh, abilities, I guess. Uh, to be a mother in Kramer versus Kramer and an actress in this movie. And uh, it's got, I think, one of the all-time great casts. Bill Murray, Jessica Lange won an Oscar for it, uh, Charles Durning, uh, Terry Garr, Elaine May. Ghost wrote a lot of the movie. Um, and uh, I just think it's ridiculously sharp. It's very funny. Parts of it have not aged well. So when you watch the movie, you know, you got to kind of think – Okay, well, am I going to nitpick everything? I know Dustin Hoffman's a kind of problematic person. This movie's a little, you know, homophobic. But at the same time, it's also really funny. And I think for the time, it was earnest in its attempts to show that, uh, you know, there was still very much a double standard for, for working women and um, the way that women were treated in the workplace. And uh, I think this movie still works very well. I think it's very funny. It's, uh, it, it has an edge to it, but it also is surprisingly moving. And whenever I watch it, I'm always surprised by how invested and involved I am with the characters. And I think that last scene uh, with Dustin Hoffman and, and uh, Jessica Lange on the sidewalk is a wonderful final scene of the movie. There is not an excessive inch of this movie. It's very tight. Fast moving, it's fast paced, it's well written. There's nothing, nothing unnecessary in it, and it's kind of a throwback to the way comedies used to be. Yeah, one of the things I really liked uh, watching it this time as I was looking at it and seeing who was involved with it and who helped, who helped bring this together, was uh, the appearance of. Give me a second here, pulling it up. Andy uh, Warhol, Larry Gelbart. In oh. the in the writing group, uh, who was the the brainchild behind Mash, like that that makes so much sense because it's got just that that classic sharpness to it, and and like like I said, they don't make it make them quite like this anymore. I mean, the funny is funny, and it doesn't have to be crude. It doesn't have to be crass. It can just be funny, and uh, and that's what I felt in this. I feel like. Yeah, there is some problematic stuff in it. However, at the same time, I feel like it's it's fairly forward thinking too in the way it portrays um, it, it portrays these women and tries to help help these women be powerful women. And um, I I think it, it it has something to say in the in the Me Too era. I I think it it's a great it's a great movie on so many levels and uh, and not to mention. It's just funny too, and I still think that uh, that Dorothy Michaels and Michael Dorsey are kind of unrecognizable from each other in a lot of ways. 
Like you, it's hard. It's hard to look at look at Dorothy Michaels and be like, "Wait, that's really Dustin Hoffman in there." It can't. It can't be. It, but it is. It is. So that's because he never breaks while he's in in that part, except which for the one time he's how, talking under his breath. Which just shows how good Dustin Hoffman can be. Todd. Um, yeah, I I didn't grow up with this movie. I think I saw it for the first time and only time like maybe ten years ago. Uh, I I definitely grew up with Mrs. Doubtfire, so I I don't necessarily think this movie is very funny. It's it's definitely good and and witty, but I don't think it's necessarily funny. Where Mrs. Doubtfire is definitely like a romp. Um, well, say, say that a louder, cowherd. Right? We want those real <laughs> comedies like Stripes and Animal House. Back that was greeny made... that, that likes oh, those. Oh, sorry. Back in, um, back in the good old days when they made real comedies. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's the the this movie's good. I I do I do like uh, I do like the cast a lot. And Zach said there's nothing unnecessary in the movie. I think Bill Murray is completely unnecessary, but he also is awesome. So it, it's it's not like I want to take him out, but I don't think that he really brings anything to the movie other than uh, bringing a very famous person to the thing where she is not really billed in the opening credits, which is peculiar. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not something I grew up with. I watched it for the second time in my life uh, earlier today. So, uh, but I do have, I do have some thoughts. Well, but Bill Murray, I mean, that's, he's so vital to the movie because he's the audience. You know, he's the one that has the 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 comic the quote of the movie. Well, well, oh, should we do that right now? Because what is the regal <laughs> quote of the movie? Is it that's one nutty hospital? Yeah, just the way he says it. It's like out of a different movie. It's like <laughs> the other one I wrote down was I, I was a stand up tomato, which I think. Oh, that's a, a good one. I wouldn't have thought not really... about that. But th- that is one nutty hospital. Is it absolutely something that they would randomly say in that regal dealio? I feel like I, I need to start making it a thing that after I compliment myself, I just kind of give myself a double double fist pump while every <laughs> while everyone else in the room moves on. That we need to make that a thing. <laughs> I like it. I was a stand-up tomato. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because. I mean, it, I think it's a very funny movie. I don't know if it has, if, if it's the most quotable movie. Like, I can't think of that many hilarious lines outside that line. I really, I've always liked the line, does Jeff know? Which, uh, he, you know, John asks at the end of the movie after that whole scene. There's a lot of, like, really funny, like, you know, taken out of context, they're probably not that funny. But, like, uh, or, or lines like, you know, can we take it back? Can we make her look good? How far back do you want to go? Let's try Cleveland. Like that's a funny line, but again, it's, it, it takes a, it takes some setup for those two. But I want to go back to something that Terry said, which is the writing of this movie, uh, which is just so vital. Um, it's always been sort of controversial who wrote this movie. Uh, it's got three credits: Don McGuire, Larry Gelbert, and Mary, Murray Shizgel, Size Shigel, Krugel, uh, Kruger. Um, I've always just a set. I've always just thought it's an Elaine May movie. Um, because I mean, a lot of this stuff looks improvised, uh, apparently pretty much all of Bill Murray's materials improvised. And you can really tell like in the opening sequence at the party, like that's all that that's 100%. Oh, that, he, he's, that's, that's completely 100% just out of his ass. Yeah. And I've, I've always <laughs> loved that speech too, where he's like, I don't want people to kiss my ass. I don't want people to say you did such a great job. I want people to go to my play, walk out and say what happened. 
I've always liked that. Uh, that's the way that I approach life as well. And um, I don't know. Uh, you know, it, uh, Hoffman makes up a lot of stuff. Uh, there's, you know, stories about Sidney Pollock and Dustin Hoffman not always getting along well on set. It's just kind of the same thing with Kramer versus Kramer. I think it kind of boils down to the fact that Dustin Hoffman is an asshole in real life. No bones about it. And he's kind of playing himself in this movie. To some extent, Sidney Pollock's playing himself in the movie. So again, I don't know how much of it is truly written, how much of it comes from one person. But I do know that Elaine May is most dependably the funniest person. And if you watch any of her older movies or her stuff with Mike Nichols, it's got sort of a similar ring in terms of its dialogue with it. Like A New Leaf is, I think, sort of similar to this movie in some ways. But uh, it's kind of hard to say who's responsible for the screenplay of this movie. But it's a great screenplay. Well, Barry Levinson's also on the list of potential people. And there, there are some things I could see that, too. And it does have the very 80s feel of Diner and Rain Man. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I but I, I don't know. It, this isn't really his kind of movie, but I could. there are things I could feel like it. I mean, couldn't you see if it wasn't Dustin Hoffman? Couldn't you see Alan Alda playing Michael Dorsey? I mean, that that it, that's once I saw that it was the guy who created MASH in this, I'm like, yeah, that's that that's totally a Hawkeye Pierce type character. Yeah, but I think Alan Alda is kind of likable. I, I don't think Michael. I don't think Michael is meant to be a very likable person at the beginning of the movie. I, that really came through this this viewing. He's he's an asshole and. You have to understand that in spite of his uh, his lack of awareness um, and his you know treatment of his directors and his agents and his co-stars, you know, he's a great actor, but he's also a great actor who's out of work. And so you have to believe that the only reason this guy who ostensibly might be the greatest actor living in New York City, the only reason is out of, he's out of work is because of his attitude. He's got a terrible attitude and working relationship, lack of working relationship, with these directors and that's that's his achilles heel and i think that's what what is perfect about the dustin hoffman casting because that in many ways was kind of true in real life for dustin hoffman i don't know alan alda alan alda's too nice bill Hader as alan alda might have been some inspired casting oh that's some great writing uh, that's his best line when he whenever he's doing his alan alda impression whenever he's he always has to say that's some great writing that, oh, that's, yes. that's oh yes, that's just some great writing right there. Yeah. That's just some great writing, right? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this is a movie that has the distinction of being a true comedy that was nominated for Best Picture, which really doesn't happen that often. So we are going to do a Mount Rushmore of the greatest comedy comedies nominated for Best Picture. So... Uh, are we gonna are we gonna start with a non-negotiable? Because I feel like we could. Well, see, it's like a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the ones that even you can come up with are comedy dramas, and this is one of them, I would say. So it's sort of if we're gonna do that, then we have to say sideways, right? Right, that's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. We 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 have to say sideways is is our non-negotiable and go from there. So okay. so are we doing that? I, I think, think that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. Okay, so sideways is the non-negotiable. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to Zach. Oh gosh. Okay. Well. Uh, so. Um, mm, this is tough. Uh, let's see. I think I'm gonna go with a movie that 
I think it's pretty clearly a comedy, and it actually won Best Picture at the Oscars, unless there's one that I'm missing. I'm going to go with The Apartment, uh, because Apartment is classic. Billy Wilder, Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred McMurray. Uh, also one of the all-time great movies, New York City movie in a way, um, about a guy who's, you know, basically this schlub at his, you know, he's at, at, at sort of anonymous cog at his big bureaucratic workplace but he has the one thing that his bosses desire which is a free apartment and uh i you know uh, it's it's a movie that i think has aged pretty well um it's very funny uh it's but you know it also the reason it won best picture is because it's it's got a heart as well and uh there's actually some pretty dark stuff in the movie shirley mcclain has a suicide attempt in the movie um but I think a lot of the other movies that got nominated for Best Picture, um, I don't know, they maybe were funny in the moment. I think this movie has a sort of timelessness to it. It also says something about the kind of workplace ethos of that society in New York City in the 1950s. And uh, it's got the all-time best Jack Lemmon performance. I mean, it has to be, which is ironic because he didn't win an Oscar for it. But um, he's great in it. And, uh, you know, um, the Sam Mendes and Kevin Spacey have said it was a big influence on American Beauty, which I guess you could say is a comedy, also that one best picture. But uh, I think in terms of just pure comedy, you can you could say this is a, a comedy that works on its own level, but it's also a, a heartwarming and uh, significant movie for for its time. So I, I think that's the one I'm going to go with. Can you tell I thought a lot about this? <laughs> you said a lot about it. <laughs> Well, okay, here's the problem. I thought A Fish Called Wanda was nominated for Best Picture, and it wasn't. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, see, I, There I, are I, very few actual comedies. Like, The Apartment, right. again, is a comedy drama. Almost everyone... It's like 75% comedy. It's it's mostly it, comedy. Okay, like movies that don't have genre, uh, drama as one of the genres on IMDb, it, the, hand, the list is like a few. And obviously Annie Hall in, is one, but you're not, you weren't going to say that. Well, and, and I don't even know if I would totally say that Annie Hall's a... I think uh, uh, Department's more of a comedy than Annie Hall is. I mean, Annie, Annie Hall is, you know, autobiographical. It, it's experimental. It's listed as comedy ways. romance. Department's listed as comedy drama romance. But yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're in, in the same discussion, I guess. Annie Hall is a Woody Allen comedy, which kind of is its own genre on its own. Um, I'm going to go next. Uh yeah, going through this, I, d I realized just how how rare it is that a comedy gets nominated. I feel like, oh, yeah, no, no, there's there's one like at least every year, every other year or something like that. No, no, that's really not the case. Uh, but so I went through and a lot of like the old ones, like I haven't seen The Apartment. I haven't seen many of the, the super old ones. Uh, the first one a lot of people would point to as being the first uh, comedy to win Best Picture would be It Happened One Night nice screwball comedy i haven't seen that uh so uh all minor that i've seen are recent so i'm gonna go with the recent one probably the one that best describe or that would best be considered a comedy and uh i don't know it kind of has a little bit of timelessness to it too i'm going with juno um yeah it, it's that's a good one it, it's such a a unique movie and especially a unique movie to be embraced by the Academy the way it was. I mean, it won Best Original Screenplay. And it's written in in a voice of that time, for sure. Uh, it's written as a, as a great high school, high school comedy. There definitely is some drama there as well. 
Uh, you've got some great performances at the heart of it, especially from then Ellen Page, now Elliot Page, uh, and uh, and Michael Sarah, uh, Zach's girl Olivia Thurlby. Uh, awesome character performances by now Oscar-winning parents in J.K. Simmons and Allison Janney. Uh, it it's a uh, and and then you have side performances from like Jason Bateman and uh, and um, Jennifer Garner. Uh, so it's a great cast. It's great writing. It's uh, great performances. And it's really funny, too, at the same time. Like, like that's a movie that's got some great one-liners to it. So uh, it, it's a good one. I'm going Juno. I like it. Uh, so I have three more that I'm considering. One of which I think we like we've actually already mentioned the name of the movie. Another one we is always like the default pick for one of these. So I'm going to go with the other one, and that's uh, Toy Story 3, Ooh. which is a a genius movie and not quite as good as the first one, but the first, of course, was nominated. Toy Story 3 was. It is. It also has those moments that really do like pull drama out, but it, but most of it is just a really funny movie where the, the toys are all stuck in like basically prison. And uh, yeah, there, there aren't that many, but... That, that probably, in terms of laughs per minute, I would say is the highest of any movie ever nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, the, pro- the problem is, I mean, there are funny movies and movies that you could classify as comedies, but I can't really find one that is as much a comedy as Tootsie. I mean, Tootsie has some dramatic elements in it, but not as much as The Apartment or Annie Hall or even Toy Story 3 or Juno. I mean, those movies have, especially the end of Toy Story 3, have some dramatic heft to them that probably helped it get its nomination, to be sure, but maybe make it less of a comedy. So the other ones I was thinking, uh, obviously MASH. We mentioned mm, MASH. But, yeah. I mean, that's possible. And the one that is always on these lists is Dr. Strangelove. It, it probably is the best comedy ever. And uh, it should be on this list, but we always say Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, there, the, there's some good honorable mentions there for sure. Doctor Strangelove, Annie Hall, Tootsie. Uh, the other ones I had written down, I had Little Miss Sunshine and uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah, I'm looking at a couple more. Uh, I mean, Shakespeare in Love was kind of considered a comedy when it came out. Um, yeah. The, as good as it gets, the full Monty. Um. The full Monty might be as close to a true comedy as right. we've had in a long time. Cause that there, there is a little bit of drama to it, but that's, that is a comedy. <laughs> I mean, the climactic scene is they all strip down to their, to nothing and, uh, and, and do a strip tease for, for the community. That's a, that is a comedy. <laughs> and midnight in Paris, I guess would be one too. That, yeah. that really isn't any trauma in that either. Oh, that's true. Uh, Moonstruck and Working Girl. I actually watched Working Girl for the first time this summer, and I thought that movie stunk. I, I, I didn't think that aged well at all. And it's I, one of my dad's know. favorite movies. Really? Oh, Perry Sr., man. I, has he seen it, it was lately? his era. I don't know. <clears throat> it's not very good. He also thinks Roger Moore was the best Bond, so... But that was that's because that's who was Bond when he was, when, when he was in those formative years. Nice. Has he seen uh, Grey's Beer Run ever? I feel like that could be a Terry Senior movie. Oh, it's a total Terry Senior movie. 
I don't think he has, but he will. He'll love it once he does. Now, could we also say, uh, are there subversive comedies that we could say? Like, I mean, Fargo. I mean, F Fargo definitely has comic elements and is maybe more of a comedy than anything else. But like, I wasn't sure what the what the ruling was on that. Well, see, I mean, like Fargo is funny, so I mean, I, I you could say it's a, you could pass it as a comedy. And obviously, I mean, that, well, I mean, like I don't think Tootsie is very funny, but it's it's clever. I don't. I think Fargo is more funny than Tootsie, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, it it really is just preference at that point. See, I would say Fargo is funny, but it's not a comedy. Mm -hmm. But like, if if you say if you say Fargo's a comedy, then I would say like Amadeus is a comedy. Not a bad comparison. How about if a film wins Best Comedy Musical at the Golden Globes, it should be considered a comedy, which is why we should consider The Martian on this list. <laughs> right. uh, obviously, obviously. All right, I think we I think we did pretty good. Sideways, The Apartment, Juno, and Toy Story Three. And you really haven't seen The Apartment, Terry? I haven't. Wow. I know. What's the What's the oldest Best Picture or the the most recent, is that the most recent Best Picture winner you haven't seen? No. Out of Africa. Oh, no, another Sidney Pollock. Yeah. Out of Africa. And then if I go past that, I know that's the most recent. But then if I go past Out of Africa, I'm going to say it's, it's probably it's a while. It's a little while. Uh, it might. No, Gandhi. I haven't seen Gandhi either. Oh, I nice. think Gandhi. Or Chariots of Fire. But yeah. see, the, the problem with this question, and I realize this was my idea for this Mount Rushmore, is that all these movies you can make fun of now. Like, Out of Africa, I'm sure, is a laugh riot to make fun of today, you know, 30 years later as a Best Picture winner, you know? Like, all these movies that won Best Picture take themselves so seriously. And, like, Crash. I mean, Crash is a laugh riot if you watch it today. Or, like, you know, um, what's the what's the really bad one? Um uh uh gentleman's agreement it, it mm. that's a terrible movie you know it, it's like it's it's laughably bad so i know i know that's not what we're supposed to be doing but i do think there is something to be said for a subversive reading of these movies as comedies well and it's always it's always uh possible that when you talk about the winners that the movie that was the best is not the one that won which is i mean that's still the case today all right, well, let's move on from that. And let's get into our recasting here, uh, which which could be really interesting. This could be a lot of fun. Recasting Tootsie today. So we're going to start. I think I'm going to I'm going to go first on this. Starting with uh, Michael Dorsey slash Dorothy Michaels, played by Dustin Hoffman. My pick for who would play this role today is Andrew Garfield. Nice. I think, I, I think he's, he's got the, I mean, it, it feels like a very tick, tick boom type, a uh, type of role of just like the struggling artist. Um, I, I, I think he, he's got, he's got the, uh, the softer complexion to pull off, off dressing as a woman. The one issue I, I have with him being this, this role is I think he might be a little too tall 
to accurately and uh, and uh, realistically pull off uh, being Dorothy Michaels. But other than that, I think he would be really good. Yeah, I would you have picked uh, Andrew Garfield if he had never made Tick Tick Boom though? Is the question. probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It's an interesting. It's an would okay. Would your remake of Tootsie be a musical? Then it sounds like that's the direction. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I think he. What I'm saying is, I feel like there's a lot. Jonathan Larson and Tick Tick Boom and uh, Michael Dorsey kind of have a lot in common. So uh, the intensity, the obsession, the willingness to let directors and other actors know what they're thinking, um, the lack of a filter. Yes, and and just the and the working, exas- working exasper- at a restaurant, and, and the exasperation of being a, a struggling artist in New York City. I had never made that connection before, but I see it and I like it. <laughs> All right, Todd, who do you have? Uh, so I went with somebody who has once before acted with somebody else's face, uh, and that is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, oh, nice. I think he has a lot of those qualities that that make it so he could be really sort of feminine, but he's also like a, a somewhat of an asshole, but also kind of likable characters and a lot of things like 500 Days of Summer and stuff. I, I think this would be something that he could pretty much do easily. And I don't know if he'd be as effective as, as Hoffman, but I think it'd be I think it'd be pretty good. I thought you were going to say either Nicolas Cage or John Travolta when you said acting with someone <laughs> else's face. <laughs> yeah, I was leading you down a down the wrong path there. <laughs> Face off was on TV the other day. Yeah, you're 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 referring to Looper. Uh, Face off was on TV the other day, and I turned it on, and it's it's when uh, it's when uh, Nicolas Cage slash John Travolta is trying to prove that he's Caster Troy in the prison, and he's beating the guy to death. I'm Caster Troy, and he's like screaming and and cheering yet crying at the same time. It's like one of the most cagey cagey cageous performances ever. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, though. I could see it. I could see it. Well, you could do All anything. Right. Yeah, um, Zach. So uh, I went with the, the more of like the, per, the the off-screen persona of Dustin Hoffman being a bit of an asshole in real life. And there were two people that I really thought of. Um, one is more canceled than the other, but they're both canceled. Um, the first one I thought of was uh, James Franco, because the guy opened up his own acting school as a way to get chicks, right? Uh, which is horrible and unspeakable. Um, but I couldn't imagine ever actually rooting for him in, in a movie. The other one I think is a little bit more realistic because um, he is a jerk in real life, but I think he's out of control as, as a jerk in real life. And it would be fascinating to see what he did with this role, and that's Shia LaBeouf. Uh, and I, I can't say I'm proud of the pick, but if we're going to go with someone who is uninhibited and unafraid to do that kind of role, uh, I, I think you got to go with someone who's not afraid to go all the way with it. And that's Shia LaBeouf, right? And I, th- I think, I mean, he is like 10 years younger than Hoffman is in this, but I don't think Hoffman comes off as a 45-year-old guy at all. In this. No, he's not he's at probably, all. He's too old. should be a 30-ish. Right. The, that, that's a great point. Yeah. I, I, Although, I was shocked to find out how old he actually was in this. He, he felt like he was like 30. It's kind of interesting that in a way, though, it, it you're right. He's too old for it, but maybe that's who the person is in real life. Um, I also thought about Adam Driver. I, I, I thought about Adam Driver's character in Marriage Story a lot, who's also this kind of pretentious, 
uh, director who's gets in everybody's shit. Uh, but Adam Driver, one horrifying woman. I was, was going to say, I don't know if he could pull off the transformation. I, I was going to say, if Andrew Garfield's too tall, then what's Adam Driver? <laughs> yeah. Oh man! See, the genius, the genius of Dustin Hoffman in that movie is like he actually. The only real reason he does it instead of it's not just the raising of the money. He actually does sort of enjoy it. He talks about how it's one of the great theatrical challenges of all time, and I could see someone like Shia LaBeouf also sort of enjoying it in a perverse way. I I could Shia LaBeouf is interesting because he would he would be able to uh, pull off the the uh, unnecessary intensity that Michael Dorsey has, right? <laughs> I mean that's a again we we do these recastings. I mean I do them because I want to. If I'm going to go see a remake, and remakes are terrible, all of them are terrible. But I want to see. I I want people to ask what happened in the words of Bill Murray, and uh, that is something that I would want to see, even if it crashed and burned like a train wreck. Uh, all right. Joseph Gordon-Lovett and Andrew Garfield are too competent. You know, I want to see this thing go off the rails and be a total disaster, like uh. You know, return to the Love Canal. What? <laughs> that was the play that Jeff that they produced. The, oh, um, okay. Yeah. So who's the who's the, who's the director of of your movie then? If this is going off the rails? Oh, I didn't think about director. Uh, maybe Olivia Wilde. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Re reunion. All right. Uh... Next, we have Julie brought to us in an Oscar-winning role by Jessica Lange. Uh, my pick. So I'm I'm looking at this thinking, all right, who's someone who I could see being a, a soap actress, just struggling actress, kind of having that that uh, that kind of every girl persona that you could that you get out of Jessica Lange in this. Uh, I went with Philippa Sue. Who? Philippa Sue. She was uh she was uh in Hamilton. She was the uh she was uh Eliza, the, the wife uh, in Hamilton. Oh, okay, okay. She's been in a couple things since. Not I don't blonde. know, she just she kinda no, she's not a blonde, but she kinda has just that like I could see her, you know, first first thing being a soap opera and and trying to work her way up and kinda having she's kinda got that that every girl persona to her. I don't know. I could see it. It's not a blonde. You're right. But I could see her working in, in, in trying to portray this role. Okay. Okay. Jim. I don't know. This one was kind of <laughs> tough to find, to find the right, the right fit. <clears throat> what do you got Todd? Yeah. Well, yeah, Jessica Lang. I think this is one of the, one of the great supporting performances. I don't know if I actually have this on my top five. I might of all time. Cause she she has got one of those I, I don't know her 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 aura is just something that you can't take your eyes off her when she's on screen and she's absolutely amazing I think only um, like Uma Thurman has that quality in the same way um, don't quite have her on my top five actually uh, but I went with uh, in the right age range I the only thing I come up with was Rachel McAdams she she has she has that mm -hmm. definite girl next door kind of feel she might be a little too old I'm not really sure but uh, some of the things that are her qualities, I think that would translate to Jessica Lang. Yeah, I think she might be a little too old at this point, but that's not a bad pick. Zach, what do you got? 
I don't really have anything good here. I went with Michelle Williams. She might be a little bit older at this point, but I think there's a sort of maturity about uh, the Jessica Lange character that I find really captivating in the movie. Obviously, she's a mother. She's been around the block. She's had to deal with directors. And uh, I agree with what Todd said about Jessica Lange. I think she's tremendous. And we'll talk about awards for performances from this movie. But she she anchors this movie. She gives this movie seriousness and, and heft. And um, I think, uh, uh, you know, a sense of, like, integrity. And so I think you want someone who actually has really good acting chops for this role. And uh, Michelle Williams could, I think, pull it off really nicely. See, I... Yes, that that's not bad either. If I was going like unlimited budget casting, the first one I thought of in this was Emma Stone. Yeah, that's not bad. But I I I was trying to come up with someone that was a little a little smaller time that would uh, that you could see being the struggling actress working her way up. See, I, I was going to go with Amanda Seyfried because she sort of did this sort of yeah, thing in May, but then I went with her co-star in Mean Girls instead because I didn't want to be that easy. All right, well, let's move on. Sandy, played by Terry Gar, <laughs> who I, I I I prefer Terry Gar to Jessica Lange in this movie. I think I think she's hilarious. Um, and and it made this one a hard one to recast because you got to have someone who's who's got those looks, but also has a can a, can pull off just the you 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 know a lot of what she did was improvisational and. Uh, Anyways, I don't love my pick, but I went with Kaylee Cuoco. Um, I can see you, that. You know, you know she can do comedy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to go with Darcy Carden too, who was in. Uh, she was um, one of the supporting people in the acting class in Barry, and she's uh, she's in A League of Their Own, um. the new TV show. She's really funny, also, um, but. I'll go Kaylee Cuoco. I think you picked, you picked her before, haven't you? I don't think I've picked Kaylee Cuoco before in anything. Oh, okay. I think I feel like her name came up on one of these in the past. I don't know. Todd, oh, Todd's mentioned. Yeah, Todd's mentioned Kaylee Cuoco's his girl. So. Okay. Uh, so my Sandy, um, it's if you're talking about somebody who's like. Uh, you know, kind of a ditzy one, kind of like a best friend one. Always, it's uh, it's Allison Brie, and I, I don't, I think it's pretty much like she does this all the time. I don't know if she would get an Oscar nomination for it because those kind of things never happen. So it's kind of crazy for Terry Gar, but I think Allison Brie would be and be amazing in that role. That that's not bad, but I don't see Allison Brie being manic like Terry Gar. Like Terry Gar has this just manic side like you you mentioned it was a something she did was a total phoebe thing to do and it it makes sense that terry gar plays phoebe's mom and friends because it there's just something that's that's hilariously manic about about her performance in this that is hard to find out of an actress uh these days so zach yeah i like that description hilariously manic uh, I went with Mindy, Mindy Kaling, um, and maybe she's a little older at this point, but I'm, I'm, I'm going older, I guess, cast overall, but I think she, you know, 
I mean, when I think Terry Gar in this movie, I think of some, you know, furiously making that dinner as she's angry that Dustin Hoffman hasn't arrived yet. You know, someone who is, uh, her, her own life is more dramatic than her chops to actually act. So like, it's, it's like reverse. Like she can't, she can get en 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 enraged about, about Michael being late, but she can't summon that rage at an audition. So I think it's, it's, it's a funny role. And uh, I think a lot of, a lot of good comic actresses could play it. I'd love to see Mindy Kaling try it. That'd be a good one. Mindy Kaling and Shia LaBeouf. Yes. I, and Michelle I mean, Okay. All right. Next, we got Ron Carlisle, brought to us by Dabney Coleman, um, who also is just hilarious in this. Everyone is funny. Everyone's funny in this movie. Um, so my Ron... It. All right. Watching this movie, one of the things I thought of is just how people looked older than than they do now like dabney coleman was 50 in this and and he didn't look 50 so i went and looked up 50 year olds i'm like who could pull really? it off and I, I think th he looks about 50 in this movie what do you but, think he but, looks older or younger no i i just think 50 year olds now don't look 50 anymore um oh so because i went with another 50 year old that i think could pull off kind of the 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 asshole uh persona that ron is i went with joel McHale. interesting i could see it can you see it, would... it? sort but of he'd have to be straight though i mean yeah he he'd play it more more uh sleazy than just douchebag like like dabney coleman presents it but i think he is taller than andrew garfield too so <laughs> there there is that we're, we're, we just have a very tall cast. I think Kaylee Cuoco's not that not that short. Uh, I feel I think Darcy Carden's like six two. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right, Todd. Yeah, I didn't really have anything good for this. I just thought that Ron's character is really similar to Justin Thoreau in Mulholland Drive, so I went with that. <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty good. All right, Zach. Yeah, I thought about Bradley Cooper, maybe. Um, but, you know, the more I think about it, it would actually be kind of interesting. Uh, uh, the, you talked about tall cast members. You know who's also tall and is in this movie is Gina Davis. And if you maybe did a little bit of gender reversal, it would be kind of because, which, of course, Gina Davis very much believes in. Gina Davis could be an interesting uh, Ron, uh, not Ron Burgundy. What's his last name? Ron... Ron uh, Ron Silver? No. Ron Carlisle. Ron Carlisle. That's a great. I was going to say Ron Swanson, but that's somebody else too. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm that would stick be with, Nick Offerman in Parks and Recreation. Bradley uh, Cooper, but I would be intrigued by uh, by Gina Davis. That would be interesting. The 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 ultimate looks older than he actually is, and this is Charles Durning. Charles Durning is younger than uh, than Plucknett Senior is right now. Yeah, was he like thirty five in this movie? <laughs> he was like fifty eight. <laughs> wow. And he looks he the looked... exact way in this movie as he did in every movie he was ever in. Every movie, to like, I mean, even like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, made eighteen years later. All Didn't right. Did he get an Oscar nomination? Not for this movie, but for like 
um, the best little whorehouse in Texas. I want to say that sounds right. Yeah, that's a that's a great, wonderful, a random Oscar nomination. Uh, he's got two Oscar nominations. Yeah, it says not yeah. for Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> no, not for Dog Day Afternoon. No, to for for to be or not to be in the best little whorehouse in Texas. Yeah. Have you back seen either of those movies, Todd? I have not. I think I think we might need to come to stable come to stable one or both of those. And Bessel Whorehouse in Texas was eighty two. I mean, it was the same year. <laughs> All right, last recasting we have Jeff, played by the wonderful Bill Murray. Um, this was a tough one. I was trying to come up with you know an SNL alum. Trying, you know, that that could play play this straight man in this, the the audience. I ended up going with Chris Red. I think Chris Red's hilarious. I could see him just being there, sit, sitting there, being the the audience. Like, wait, what's going on? But it doesn't really quite fit at the same time. I don't know. I don't love it, but that's the one I went with. Maybe like a Sedakis, but Sedakis is too big now. I don't know. God. Uh, yeah. So it's got to be one of those people that just is gonna sit there, like, and be like the the friend character who never leaves the room, kind of. And having watched New Girl, I think that's Damon Wayans Jr. I I, I think I, I I could see him just being like super judgmental. He wouldn't be as goofy as Murray, obviously, but I think a lot of the things, a lot of his his mannerisms and stuff, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. I thought you were gonna say Jake Johnson. Yeah, well, he'd be too old. He is probably too old at this point, but he yeah, feels I mean, like a that Bill would Murray. be too for sure. Like he 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 is he is a Bill Murray type more than almost any other actor out there right now, except for like maybe like Charlie Day, but that wouldn't be bad either. Zach, who do you have for Jeff? Uh, this was the easiest one for me, and it begins and ends with Kieran Culkin. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, good. He already played that role in. Uh, yeah, he Cobra. did already. He, he did play that role. Of, yeah, that's true. In what? Scott, Scott Pilgrim. Pilgrim. Oh, right. <laughs> but it was perfect. He was perfect in that role. All right. So I, I, I cast a few more people. Okay, um, go for it. So my uh, George slash the director of the movie is, of course, Ben Stiller. Um, my my less uh, is, uh, it, I mean, Talking about Charles Durning, like, did there were times when I was watching it, I was just, you just take off that hair and it's Dean Norris. Like, oh, God, perfect. perfect. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the Van Horn, um, like, I mean, uh, Gaines is is one of a kind. And But, I mean, if you're going to try to put someone in that kind of thing, it's got to be somebody so cluelessly weird and that it, it's Colin Mockery. I think I think it'd be I think it'd be really funny to have him be this like floozy old actor. Has he ever actually acted at anything before? I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't look that up. I thought about going for uh I thought about making like Wayne Brady, Ron Carlisle, the the director of the soap. I thought that would be interesting. That would be pretty because good. Because he was right around the same the right age range, but Colin Mockery, wow. Okay. He has 34 movie credits. Wow. His last one was called Drifting Snow. 
2021. So he's acting now. That's interesting. All right. Zach, did you have any others? I, I had a couple more too. Uh, my less was John C. Riley, but Dean Norris, that, that takes it. That's that's great. <laughs> that's great casting. Um, give it to me outside. What are you doing? <laughs> I had um, uh, Mindy Sterling, a.k.a. Frau Farbissina, as Rita, the, the I think she's the producer on the show. Um, but I, I, I wrote that down, that she is Frau-ish. Yeah, like that, that's some real frow qualities to her. <laughs> that's so funny that you <laughs> said that. And then um, there's one actor who was born to play Van Horn. Unfortunately, he has passed away, but that is Christopher Plummer. So I think we need to take like <laughs> CGI holograms of Christopher Plummer over the course of his career and make him Van Horn, bring him to life. No, I think, I think if anyone's going to take on the Gaines persona of Van Horn or anything like that. It's, it's Christopher Walken nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> so how old was Van Horn in this? Was he in the sixties? Probably. I mean, he looked like ancient. Oh yeah. I don't know. Let's see here. How old was Gaines? He was born in 1917. In Finland. Of course. So, so he was 65. Max Fonsito could have also played this. Is Max Fonsito still alive? He could do it. No. George Gaines was 65 in this. He looked like he was 80. Yeah, Plummer died at, what, 92 or something? Like, Yeah. <laughs> this is right, right this bef before Police Academy. <laughs> yeah, th th this is probably what got him Police Academy. Yeah, I'm sure. He didn't have a fish. <laughs> Very... Very bad. Um, all right. Who would Nicolas Cage play? He could play a lot of these characters. I said today he'd be Ron Carlyle. Yeah, that's what I wrote down to. <laughs> I think uh, Charlie and Donald Kaufman could have doubled as Michael and Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Who would 90s Giamatti play in this? Oh, one of the camera operators. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 guy, who, the like, guy who said, how's Cleveland? How's Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be... I, I, I can hear him saying that right now. <laughs> I was trying to figure out who that character is. It's either Stagehand or there was some that was like video operator or something. I can't. I don't know who it was, but... Uh, Any, anytime there's a movie with a camera in it, or a piece of like AV equipment used by the FBI to record something. That's that's got Giamatti's name all over it. Or a bartender. Or a bartender. There was a bartender. bartender. There was a lot of drinking in this movie. I was kind of surprised by uh, the, the, the the amount of drinking. I I mean it it is it is by the guy who did Mash. I mean they had a distillery in their tent in, in the Korean War. That's true. I think everybody in this movie is drunk at one point or another, which is impressive. What does Adam think this movie's about? Obviously, the the making of Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, yeah, that's what the, I wrote down too. Uh, yeah, the the origin story, like uh, you know the the one with uh, um, the Coen Brothers movie about uh, the Hudsucker Proxy, but like you know a madcap story origin story about this amazing operation that created Tootsie Rolls, right? See, I was thinking like in the vein of uh, of the founder with Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah. 
No, yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, or the one with Greg Kinnear and the windshield wipers. There we go. There we go. That's what the movie should have been called. <laughs> I think probably would have been more successful. Greg Kinnear and the windshield wipers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greg Kinnear would have played Ron in this movie, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the actual title of, of Greg Kinnear and the Windshield Wipers, Flash of Genius, could be the title of any movie ever. That's a great point. Yeah, that should have been one of your trivia questions. What was the title of the Greg Kinnear? Can we put, <laughs> throw that in one of the trivia questions at one point? Because there's 0% chance I'm ever getting that. <laughs> From now on, it's just Greg Kinnear and the Windshield Wipers. That's also mm -hmm. the name of his band. Yeah, it's It'd be great so guy. hard to do Greg Kinnear <laughs> filmography. A lot of those movies, like I watched that one with him and like Renee Zellweger, where they were like working at some food bank or something. I have no idea what that movie's called. Ask Food like, Nation? No, it was like no. two years ago or something. I don't know. I remember Dear God. That's that's a good title. The one where I, he's uh Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've heard I, I remember that one. Yeah. I, I say if if any of us same, ever same started kind of a band, different as me. Yeah, there's no way I was ever remembering that. <laughs> wow. If any of us Giant, ever start a Hansen. band, we're gonna name it Greg Kinnear and the Windshield Wipers. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Highest war of the oh, moment go. Can I also oh. say I also yeah. this isn't quite what Adam thought of it. It's like a, a slightly more enlightened version of Adam, like Adam 2.0. But I, I think there's a chance that he thought that it was the 2005 best foreign film winner from South Africa. <laughs> so Tootsie. Yeah, not Tootsie. Tootsie. <laughs> it's not quite Adam. It's like it's Adam 2.0. That, that, that could have been one of John Stewart's like jokes that year. <laughs> like... Oh, you got been. an out-of-work actor in Cape Town. He's trying to make it. Dresses in drag. Dresses in drag. Tries to fool everybody to get the job. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Oh, oh, that's that's Sotsi, not not Tutsi. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> it would have worked. It, it totally would have worked. Why didn't that happen? <laughs> Come on, John Stewart. What was going on at the time? Well, I guess he actually liked Sotsi. I remember him saying that. <laughs> he was like genuinely a fan of that movie. All right, Zach. Who's so the highest? Did he like it as much as? Colin Cowherd likes cross-dressing comedies. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> it, that that seems like a fanatic, fanatical level. Um, sorry, MVP of the movie. Uh, oh, highest work. Highest work of the movie. Uh, uh, Jessica Lang. Uh, yeah. for, for many of the reasons that we mentioned, I would agree with Todd. Now it's interesting that Todd says it's a top supporting actress performance because also he has. Um, the supporting actress from the verdict as his top five supporting actress performance. So is it possible that 82 supporting actress is maybe the greatest supporting actress race of all time? You also have D Wallace in, in ET who's great. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, neither of them were nominated, right? No, no, it was, it was interesting who got nominated though. We had Leslie Ann Warren who I had no recollection of in Victor Victoria and uh, Terry Garg at the rare double nomination for the same movie. I thought that was going to be one of your Oscar or one of your trivia questions too. Is name other movies where there have been multiple supporting actress nominees. Uh, um, up in the Up in the Air is one of them. Babel. And Babel. I have doubts. It's happened a lot recently, actually, in the last like twenty years. It used to like never happen. 
Todd highest war? Well, I mean, the, the answer is Jessica Lang. I mean, she she is she truly magnetic dignity. in the movie. What? She gives the movie dignity. Yeah. And it, it, it not, and not a whole lot like most of the characters she ever plays either. Like when you think about like American Horror Story lady, um, I guess I'll go with Sidney Pollack. He, I, I really like that character, and he. I've always thought he was an underrated actor, whether he was in like a Woody Allen movie or whether he's under whatever he's in. Like he's he's always like very interesting. In this in this movie, he's he's sort of a jackass, which I kind of love, and he's also the director. And I don't think it, a whole lot of other people could have directed it at the time. Not a bad pick. Not a bad pick. Yeah, has Sidney Pollack ever been bad in a movie? Like, he's great. He he was great in everything he was in. Michael Clayton, Husbands and Wives, Changing Lanes. He was a great supporting actor. And he had a lane, too. Um, uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. He's great in that, too. See, the nice thing about someone like him, though, is he since he's the mainly the director, he can pick and choose where he's going to act. And he makes sure it's a role that he knows he can do. Um, which I think you can say about him here. Um, yeah, Jessica Lang, I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily think of her. I mean, she, she gives the movie great heart, but is that just the writing of the character? Is that her performance? I don't know. Um, I, I, I'd say Terry Gar has a higher, higher war than, than Jessica Lang does in this. I wrote down George Gaines though, for everything that we've already said, he's a one of a kind. <laughs> yeah. There is, there's only one that could pull off ditzy old man quite like george gaines um i mean like like we said his performance in this got him police academy which was a seven movie run of him playing this exact same character of ditzy old man that doesn't know what's going on uh he's brilliant in this and he's the only one that can really do it that way like be (laughs) how how do you be endearing in a in a potential rape scene you're george gaines that's how you do it uh it's he's he's yeah he's one of a kind like todd said it before he's one of a kind and and my my close runner up is terry gar yeah see the terry gar nominations like the jennifer tilly nomination or something like that where it's like Mm. it's a very high like energy crazy performance yes that too (laughs) um that's but so yeah, now that I mean, Bullets Over really Broadway good. got the, the dual nominations as well. This would have made a great question. All right. Missed out. Missed opportunity, like John Stewart, the to- the Totsi joke. Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance of the Film Award goes to who, Todd? Uh, I said Gina Davis. Yeah. It's It's not necessarily because she's bad. It's just that it's a really kind of a kind of a nothing role and she is sort of distracting i mean she is also very tall standing next to dustin hoffman but uh, i guess everybody is i don't know i mean gina davis had a lot more good things uh after this and this was not necessarily one of her shining moments yeah i heard her written down too um and like you said it's not necessarily her fault uh however i don't know i kind of feel like she's forgettable in a lot of roles i don't know how great of an actress she actually is um she's 
kind of the worst part of uh, of a league of their own. I would wow. say, uh, just hot, because hot I know, I know, but uh, but at the same time, yeah, she doesn't really have a whole lot to do here. And there's in this movie, there's either, you know, your your top ten or twelve actors who are brilliant, or there's people that have one line. And then the only one in the middle is Gina Davis. And so that's that's why that's the one you go with. Man, yep. ripping on Gina Davis. That's brutal. The worst part know. of a league of their own. Academy Award winning actress. The honorary recipient for her. I Gina will say Davis. I have <laughs> not seen her Oscar winning role. Yeah. So. Well, it's one of the greats. Accidental Tourist. Everybody loves that movie. That was also a, a dual supporting actress, was it not? With uh, Kathleen Turner. I don't remember. Nah, maybe, probably not. Actually, I'll look this up. Could have been. Could have been. I don't think. Hannah and her sisters have two. It only had one, right? Uh, I believe so. But they all could have been nominated, pretty much. All right, Zach. Who's your uh, worst performance? Uh, it, it has to be Gina Davis, but I, I will, I will make the case for, um, Andy Warhol and Gene Shalit in this movie who have some, uh, cameos and uh, they're, they're there and then they go away. So I would have, I would have liked more from them. It's so random that Andy Warhol is in this movie. I mean, one of the great <laughs> pop artists of all time in Tootsie. And I think he's like making fun of himself. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. It's distracting. Um, I guess in the way that Gina Davis is distracting. Um, uh, I can't think of another movie that Andy Warhol was in. So this is it. Yeah, when he popped up, I was like, that that can't actually be him, right? Right. How, how many <laughs> times in a movie can, can you think of, that's not actually that person, is it? And it absolutely was Andy Warhol, which is so weird to, to think. Do, do you think he liked this movie? He must have been a fan. Uh, I mean, he had to be if he was he was in it. He'd have to be a fan of the movie if he's in it, right? I would so, think so. You'd think so. Yeah. By the way, Zach, you had the wrong uh, 88 movie with the double supporting actress nomination. Oh, it was, it was Working Gorillas. Girl. Working Girl. Oh, oh yeah, seconds, Weaver. This movie is so much funnier than Working Girl. Working Girl is is uh, laughably bad. 85, you had it with uh, you were just hyping up color purple. Mike Nichols earlier, though. I was, oh, well, with, with, with Elaine May. May, yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, did um, was uh, Last Picture Show, was that also oh, yeah. Shepherd and uh, Cloris Leachman, maybe? No, I don't, uh, maybe not Sybil Shepherd. No, um, I don't think Sybil Shepherd, but uh, you, I think there were two, some, some, oh, there were two supporting Ellen actors. Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn, there we go. And yeah. Chris Leachman, yeah. And the year before that, Airport had two. Was it The Exorcist, Alan right? And Maureen Stapleton. Yeah, Exorcist. No, the I don't Exorcist. know. I don't know if Person got nominated. Did she? What year was The Exorcist? Seventy-three. Seventy-three. Oh, but you know, um, uh, Paper Moon. I think got didn't Madeline. Paper Kahn Moon did. Madeline Kahn was nominated. There we Only go. One nomination for The Exorcist, though. So Ellen Burstyn was lead. Ellen Burstyn was lead. Oh. Yeah. I screwed that up royally in my opinion <laughs> this, is, this is a fun little side game we're playing in the midst of everything else we're talking with tootsie uh all right 
amazing Larry, big Tim, high roller, minor character of the movie. Uh, I'm going first on this one, and I'm going with one that that Todd already mentioned, and it's it's Sidney Pollock. Uh, I he he kind of steals every scene he's in. Um, he he knows how to just speak the truth in that blunt way that that character needs to have. And, uh, yeah, nobody likes you. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody likes you, Michael. Um, not just in New York. <laughs> not just in New York. <laughs> you would, you wouldn't sit down. I'm a tomato. That's not logical for me to sit down. No, he, he's, he's brilliant. He's brilliant in this. He's my favorite minor character. Zach, how about you? Uh, well, I don't know how many, it's, it's like eight characters in this movie. So unless I want to go, you know, the stage hand or, or the Paul Giamatti cameraman, uh, I'm going to go, uh, John Van Horn, uh, for many, much of the reasons that we've talked about, but, um, he just has a habit of being in some of the funniest moments in this movie. And, uh, you know, the line I already mentioned, uh, does Jeff know, I think gets forgotten a, a lot. Um, but there's also the line where, uh, he says, I'm just an untalented old has-been and, uh, you know, Mike, Dorothy Michaels is like, were you ever famous to begin with? And he's like, no. And then, so, well, how could you have been a has-been? Um, Just but, stole my quote of the day. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, was this the first uh, role, though, where we really got someone that had to read off cue cards? I feel like that's been played a lot now in movies and TV shows. Um, Look but, at me, Mr. Van Horn. <laughs> yeah. and Oh, I'll help her up. And then she's like already propped up. Yeah. That 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 was great the cue cards are are great and they're well we'll get to mvps but the people who had to write his cue cards must have been busy uh yes all right the other okay so those are the two i had written down uh but if i'm gonna say something else i guess i'll say tobin bell as the waiter he's in it for like five seconds but it's he's jigsaw and he's a waiter with a champagne i think he's walking around with i think this is the first time he's ever on screen so go with that you guys took the good ones well done well done yeah this is kind of a bad movie to deep dive i thought that there were more characters in it but there really aren't i mean it, it's it's eight people and that's it yeah all right Stickman douchebag zach you're first give us both of them uh well the douche- actually we'll go we'll go all three Stickman douchebag and the robert forster memorial most punchable Okay, well, well, Ron uh, Dabney Coleman is is a, an epic uh, douchebag, and some would say maybe he's also a stick man, but uh, I would say he's he's a he's a pretty big douchebag. But you also got to go with some of those people in the opening montage that are giving uh, Dustin Hoffman shit. Now maybe Dustin Hoffman is a douchebag too, but when the guys like you know Tolstoy dies in the middle of the stage, love he calls him love for some reason. Um, yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a pretty dick thing to do, and I think the movie's making the argument that uh, these directors really don't know what what they're talking about. I think you could also make the argument that that um, uh, George is a pretty big douche as well, because uh, he's pretty quick to um, be on Team Michael once the paychecks start coming in and the notoriety um, happens. He's pretty eager to shove him off and say, "I begged you to go to therapy." Um, when uh, Michael is a struggling actor. So I, I don't know. A lot of these people are, are, are douchebags. Um, biggest stick man in the movie, though, um, I think you've got to go with the character of uh, Medford Brewster. 
right? Uh, Dr. Brewster. Everybody's had a everybody's had a feel with Dr. Brewster. Medford Brewster. I thought that was going to be one of your trivia questions too. What what Southern Oregon city is Dr. Brewster named for? <laughs> uh, oh, and I'm sorry. Most punchable face. Um, uh, well, I think Dustin Hoffman's right. Well, he doesn't get punched in the face, but uh, he gets punched. Uh, okay. Well, the stick man. I'm. I, I'd say Michael because all he had to do to. Uh, sleep with Sandy, his friend of six years, is just say like, "I want you," and strip down to his underwear, and it worked. Like he got it in. Like I mean, it, he's got some stickman potential. He does like try to charm a lot of girls in the very beginning. That doesn't really work, but I don't know. There's something about him, I guess. Uh, the the douchebag. Um, I said Rita Marshall, the the frowish. Uh... Frowish. That's that's a great term. Can we use that term from now on? Got some prowish yes. potential. Bring in the cute guards. I don't really remember why I wrote her down, but that's very good. Frow is not a douchebag, but uh, Rita Marshall is, and uh, the most punchable face. I don't know why we name it after Robert Forster. He's the one doing the punching. But <laughs> no. um, uh, I, I wrote down Joel Spector. He's uh, he's one of the guys that comes uh, to talk to George while they're at the restaurant, and. Um, I looked at him. I was like, man, I really want to punch that guy. It's the taller one of the two guys that was there. Although they both probably are punchable. I don't know if you remember them. Yeah, I I, I know who you're talking about. The the like the like Broadway producers that come up to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down Michael as the stick man too for the same reasons that uh that you had. Uh my douchebag goes back to the beginning and the the birthday party. Uh, so there's this lady at the birthday party whose face is so close to the cake when they're singing happy birthday that she blows out oh, yeah. several of the candles. Like, that's a douche move. Who puts their face close enough to the cake while they're singing happy birthday to blow out some of the candles? That's that's a douche move right there. So she's my she's my biggest douchebag. Now, I, ha I had a lot of questions about that character. Because yeah. <laughs> she does seem a little out of place at this party, okay? She looks about 30 years older than everybody else who's there. And she's very much like Estelle Costanza, you know? She's, I kind of, like, I wrote down, where's the beef lady? I mean, that's that's kind of who she is. And uh, I wonder if she got more more traction, more roles like this out of this movie. It's from possible. Movie. I feel like she's got to be, like, someone's secretary or something to be able to be at this party. Um, my most punchable face, uh, I wrote down Bill Murray. I, I feel like that, especially during the uh, his pretentious uh, douchebaggy uh, speech at the beginning. But I think also you could definitely say Edward Kimberly. Oh, um, well, yeah, a very, a very that's a great face. That's a great call. And he's not crazy. I'm not and crazy. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Edward Kimberly, well, Edward Kimberly had a very traumatic life, though. Is, is, so there's there's some sympathy for that character. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> to, to do what he did to those good people at Southwest General is pretty, pretty unflattering. So, um, yeah, not something to be proud of. Yeah. All right. Best scene of the movie. Uh, we're going to Todd. 
Um, I have the the scene where Sandy c- goes over to Michael's place and sort of uncovers everything that's going on. Uh, that's definitely Terry Gar's Oscar scene. It reminded me of the scene in uh, in What Women Want when Marissa Tomei finds Nick Marshall and was just like begging for him to say that he's gay to like put her out of her own misery. It's pretty much the same scene, and I never really had put that together before. Uh, but cool. Terry Gar is killing in that scene. She's really emotional. She she just is. She's doing her thing. That the whole thing with the chocolates is just brilliant, and uh, it's it's a great scene. It's a really good like uh, final uh, peak of the movie. That's a great call. And two thousand, what women want is kind of like a perfect recasting of this movie. I mean, Helen Hunt is perfect as uh, as Julie, and Mel Gibson probably is is the perfect Michael Dorothy. And he and, does try uh, on women's products in that movie. And what's her name? That's true. What's her name is a, is a great uh, is a great Sandy. Um, Marissa Tomei. No, 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 Pam Greer. No, Pam. No, not Pam Greer. No, no. What's her name? Judy Greer. Judy Greer. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, Judy Pam Greer. Greer Pam Greer and Sandy is inspired <laughs> casting. I that that's the train wreck uh, that I want to see. By the way, no, how no, excited Marissa are Tomei you? is that character, Terry. I'm telling you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's too. perfect. By the way, how excited are you for the Pam Greer season of the plot thickens? Yeah, I, I I heard the the intro thing. It was pretty awesome. All right, uh, my best scene. I went with the scene where uh, where Michael goes over to uh, to um, to George's house at two a.m. and he has the whole talk with him, and he gets really confused about who thinks he's gay and who thinks he's a lesbian. Um, that's that scene is just that that's that's the comedy of this movie at it. I feel like at its apex where. It, He's just genuinely confused. Like, wait, so they think so she thinks you're gay? No, she thinks I'm a lesbian. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> it, it's it, it just the the look of confused like that, and that's also Sidney Pollock at his best too. Just like pure confusion. It's like, I have no idea what's going on. You gotta get me off the show, George. You gotta get me off the show. Uh, <laughs> it's, it 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 is when the sh- when the movie is at its most. It's most manic and insane and well, because ridiculous. Sidney Pollock is the director and he's sitting there pushing the buttons and he knows he knows <laughs> that Dustin Hoffman's gonna keep going and he does. It's like that's why that character is so great. Yeah, it it's perfect. It's perfect. Zach, what about you? Yeah, those are great picks. It's hard to pick a bad scene in this movie. Um I when I when I was growing up, I, I actually thought the reveal scene with Edward Kimberly at, at the end probably was the funniest scene that had ever been made in film. Um, but to be a little bit different, I, I I do really like, first of all, the opening 30 minutes of this movie are just about perfect. And I really love the first scene between Michael and, and George uh, when yeah. you, you understand the dynamic of that relationship right away. There is no need for unnecessary exposition, no need for a backstory. When he just bursts in and he gets, uh, yeah, I, I lost the coast, Michael. We're close to George. And uh you know, when, when they're talking about it, no one wants to hear about, uh, you know, people who move back to Love Canal. No one wants to go to a story about chemical waste. They can go to New Jersey for that. But it actually uh, happened, George. Who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, <laughs> people can go to New Jersey for that. I, I love that. that. When you watch that scene, uh, and maybe this could be another award that we have in this ridiculous podcast. 
that could have been a TV show right there is the Michael and George. Michael as an unsuccessful, desperate actor. George as his long suffering agent. That could have been a great TV show or spinoff because I feel like there was a lot of baggage there with those two characters. And that that scene was, I think, just perfectly played out. Again, you don't need explanation. You, you just get to know those characters right away for who, who they are, what they are, what they're not. And that just, the, the, you know, mile of a, a, a beat uh, talking and dialogue. Great, great performances by, by both of them. Really, Sidney Pollack maybe was the best performance in this movie. I, I, I maybe am leaning toward what you said, Jerry. I think Todd's the one that actually said it. I just I said it was my favorite minor character. Oh, okay. But oh yeah, we're that's all right. fans well, of scene. We're all fans of Sidney Pollack. Yeah, yeah. All right, we already did regal quote of the movie. If there were a sequel, I didn't really have anything other than I mean I would watch Bill Murray do whatever he was doing like more. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you couldn't didn't notice that he no, was even though lemons. you said he was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, well, because he's in a different movie, and that and his line, the our regal line of the movie, is in a different movie. Like that's, but <laughs> I, I would watch more of that. Zach, did you have a sequel? No, but I think what women want is sort of a spiritual sequel to this movie. Uh, I'd never made that connection before, and I'm not sure why, but they're almost the same movie. And so is Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, but Mrs. Doubtfire, I don't think Mrs. Doubtfire is quite as like acidic as this movie is, or, or acerbic, I guess is the word. Like Mrs. Doubtfire, the last you know 15 minutes of that movie go into pretty heavy drama with divorce and custody and all that. And what women want in this movie always stay light. There's, there's really nothing serious in, in either movie. And uh, what women want will make a great deep dive in, uh, in three years. It was, my, right. it was one of my groomsmen gifts for you at, at my wedding, Todd. Remember correctly. That is true. That in the sounds of Lamb's Criterion. All right, I have a sequel because it, my sequel also goes into my conspiracy theory. Uh, I'm going to say uh, if there were a sequel, I don't need to pick one because there has already been one. And that's Barry. Because my conspiracy theory is Michael Dorsey grows up and becomes Gene Cousinow. Um, and, uh, and is the side character in Barry, because it's told like you watch the first like 10 minutes of this movie and, and him teaching that acting class. That's the, that's the origin story of Gene Cousinow, Henry Winkler's character in Barry. I mean, and, and, and you start to go through some of the things Gene does in Barry, by the way, listen to the almost sideshow. We're going through Barry episode by episode. It's so much fun. Um, like there, at one point he's walking down the hallway of his acting studio and he's got got like posters on his wall of what he's done and like my favorite is uh there's a poster that says gene kusnow is 12 angry men he turned 12 angry men into a one-man show doesn't that sound like something michael dorsey would try to do i mean that is funny it, it, it would totally be something he'd try to do in in uh gene and barry he ends up getting married at one point and has a kid and he's estranged from him and when he goes back to try and see him he goes he, his kid at, says uh says when when i came around you you left he goes i'm an actor i had to improvise he goes but you just left he goes i wanted to leave everyone wanting more i mean that that's michael dorsey it, it's uh, so many things once i saw the first part of that i'm like holy crap michael Dor like there and i started to research and i tried to find because that character had to be inspired by michael dorsey and i couldn't find anything but it's it, it totally is the same character. It's the exact same character. Like Todd, can't you see Gene 
dressing up like a woman and being a star in a soap opera for a year. Absolutely. <laughs> this is this is some of your best content, Terry. You, you never have anything for this category, and now you just went on like a two minute rant that I completely endorse. <laughs> Listen to the sideshow; it's totally worth it. Like he he's he, Gene Coos now wrote a book that's called uh, "Stand in Your Spot and Say Your Lines," and apparently, I didn't realize this. On every copy of the book, it has a different headshot. <laughs> That's a, yeah. It's a great show. It, it's a great show. And Gene Kusnow is Michael Dorsey. So the sequel's already been made. He has become a, a side character. And what happens What happens if someone that uh, joins his, his acting class is a hitman? So there you go. That was brilliant. Do, do any of you have any uh, any conspiracy theories or anything outdated or flaws or anything? I, I have a couple of things. Um, uh, so uh, John Van Horn, when he first introduces himself, he says his name is Charles Van Horn. I don't know if that was by design <laughs> or if that's just uh, Gaines doing his thing, but he says Charles Van Horn. And I was like, that's not his name. Um, Sandy, I uh, to me, like when I was watching Sandy, she seemed like one of those like like a Zach Morris girlfriend or something character like that she's played like that a lot of the time where she's like this very like ditzy California girl kind of thing. I just thought that was kind of weird. And um also at the Russian restaurant they go to when George is about to sit down, the 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 um the host, he moves the table out and so George can sit in the booth and then he moves the table back up to him. And I don't think I've ever I seen that, that. before. Yeah. That, is that is that a thing that people do? Because I mean, I'm, I guess most of those tables are probably stationary. They're not. They're they don't move. But I was just like, he moved the table. Like that, you move the chair, but it's a booth. So I don't know. It was it was weird. Maybe that's what they did before I was born. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I saw that too and thought that was <laughs> that was fascinating. All right, Zach, did you have anything? Uh, the only thing I had somewhat mentioned earlier was, has anyone heard of the Love Can of Love Canal? Like, I think that was a real thing, but obviously such a such an uh, uh, obscure and unsavory thing that happened, I guess, involving chemical waste that I don't know if anyone understands that line anymore. Um, I don't know. Did, did you guys understand it? I No. No. Like that was a real thing that happened in the late seventies. Like I, I guess toxic waste where people were living um, in on, on the east coast somewhere. But it was a real thing. I, you know, obviously it's something that hasn't aged well about the movie. I don't have a lot of conspiracy theories, but that's that that stuck out to me as a fairly major plot point that in the uh, Shia LaBeouf slash uh, Andrew Garfield remake they would want to change into something else. I'm not sure what though. I don't know. Right. I'm looking at Love Canal on Wikipedia. It says that it was mentioned in Aaron Brockovich at some point. Well, oh, yeah, it was kind of like sense. it was kind of like Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. All these all these companies. Maybe maybe the sequel to this movie would have been you know Todd Haynes making an environmental thriller with Mark Ruffalo as a lawyer seeking to uh, compensate victims for damages that incurred at Love Canal environmental problems i don't know 
That's why it was such an un, unsatisfying play. And I also want to know why it was produced in Syracuse and not New York. I mean, I, I guess obviously because it wouldn't have made any traction in New York, but maybe that was closer to Love Canal. I don't know. I do want to see that play, Return to the Love Canal. It sounds fascinating. Maybe that's the sequel. Is they actually making yeah. a play in Syracuse? Well, that well that was. I mean, he was so like. Okay, I guess this is also something like the the second to last scene in the movie where he meets up with Les again. There, that's at the opening of the play, which is also the same area where Les lives. Apparently, upstate New York is all the same area. I guess my question is. Did they arrange to be at that same bar at the same time? Because it doesn't look like they did. And it's also where Michael gives back the ring. But it doesn't look like Les recognizes him at first. I don't know. I felt I felt like that scene probably had maybe some, there were some deleted scenes or excerpted part of, parts of the script that explained that scene a little bit more. But I'm not really sure how that scene happened. The bar also looks like the bar that Heisenberg sees the news uh, and decides he's going to go back to. New Mexico looks like the same bar. Yeah, there was boxing going on. I thought that might have been a question too. Like, what, that seemed like too easy though. I, I I couldn't figure out who actually was fighting. I I was gonna trying to figure that out for a question. All right, we got. Let's hear LVP, MVP, and then quote of the day. And we're gonna start with Todd. All right, my LVP is um, Dustin Hoffman's running posture. It is really strange. <laughs> like his arms, I don't know what he's doing. I, he, he, I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard to describe, really. But when I saw him running, I was like, "That's that's really not good." Um, and my MVP is uh, movies that were pre PG thirteen ratings because yep. this movie had two F words in about. Uh, a second and a half and it would have gotten an R rating but since there was no PG-13 rating it was able to be PG because there's nothing about this movie that should have been R or even PG-13 so I like movies back then when it was more black and white and not have that that gray area that's always just like stupid which is PG-13 my uh, my LVP is obviously the uh, former film editor for uh, Southwest General oh who spilled sticky stuff all over, all over an entire reel? But it's just well, a little sticky, right? Well, no, well, more, why no can't problem. we still use the film? Uh, <laughs> and uh, my MVP is, uh, and I guess this could go to outdated too. My MVP is um, caller ID now, because <laughs> uh, that so much of so much of Michael's issues would have been solved if he had caller ID instead he had to yeah. screen his calls and wait for him to go to the machine when he had a machine, if the machine was working. Um, that's another great scene where the, the phone's ringing. He's like, no, no, it, it could be someone looking for, looking for, uh, for Dorothy. Well, what if, what if it, Oh wait, but it could be Sandy looking for Michael. It's like, or it could be for me, but I don't want, I don't want anyone to think that Dorothy's <laughs> living with another man. That's, I mean, that's a, it's another great scene that wouldn't have existed if it was for, Color ID, but anyways, maybe nice. color ID is an LVP because it ruined uh, it would ruin a bunch of comedy. But Zach, what do you got? All right, my MVP of the movie is uh, Marilyn and uh, uh, Alan Bergman for their music. 
Um, I really like the music in this movie. It got nominated for Best Song, Tootsie, It Might Be You. I think the music is infectious, and when I hear it, I <coughs> sing it in my head, which is saying something, because normally I hate 80s movie music, but for whatever reason, this both songs in this movie and the main soundtrack, um, I think just pop off uh, really nicely, and I think have aged kind of well in a weird, perverse 80s way. Is it just me, or does the soundtrack kind of sound like Hoosiers? A little yeah, bit. It was, yeah, it was something. It was, it was one of those 80s movies. Maybe it's Hoosiers. <laughs> All right, and continue, Zach. My LVP goes to uh, another thing that I thought was going to be a trivia question. Um, the magazines, Ms. Magazine, New York Magazine, TV Guide, and Cosmo, you really, like, they must be struggling so much for good content to come up with a side supporting character on a daytime soap who has appeared in the last few weeks as their as their cover story i'm not i feel like that they need to do a little bit more research i feel like more was happening in the in the early 80s than than uh emily kimberly uh or dorothy michaels being blown onto the screen but maybe that just that just says you know that the the media environment that that we live in um they they wanted to get ahead of the story i guess but really having gene shallot on the cover with her it's just a little it's a tad offensive All right. And how many times do you really get Andy Warhol on your cover? And you're going to put Dorothy Michaels with him? I mean, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, that's an interesting call. Time for quote of the day. Let's wrap this up. I'm going to go first. So my quote of the day was going to be uh, the quote with uh, of uh, Dorothy with uh, with George Gaines's character. Don't you have to be famous first to be a has been? Because I thought it really described this podcast, but um, but instead I'm gonna go uh, with a, a quote from Gene Cousinow, who is Michael Dorsey, and uh, so I went scouring through uh, through Barry archives and found a, a great Gene quote, uh, and this is him talking to Barry. He goes, "Are you on drugs, Barry? Because getting clean is an important part of an actor's journey. A little story to illustrate." I was doing Long Day's Journey in tonight at the Pasadena Playhouse with a bunch of cokeheads. It's usually about a three-hour play. We could bring it in at just under 38 minutes. We thought we were great. Apparently, we were unintelligible. It was the beginning of the bad years, Barry. I mean, doesn't that sound like something Michael Dorsey would say? <laughs> in, his, in his old age, looking back on his life, doing Long Night's Journey today in, 30, in 38 minutes. <laughs> Because he was doing it with a bunch of cokeheads, yes. it was the start of the bad years. <laughs> well, it kind of begs the question: Why didn't we recast uh, uh, Rory Kinnear as uh, Michael? <laughs> because of men, it sounds like the exact same thing. It sounds like something Michael Dorsey would do in 2022. That, that's a valid point. That's a valid point. All right, uh, we're gonna go to Zach next. All right. Well, my favorite um, Dustin Hoffman clip is not the ones where he's uh, very, very toxic, fortunately. But I do really like the clip uh, of him on David Letterman, where he gives the story where he liked to fool people and actually dress up as Dorothy Michaels. And one person that he fooled was the late, great Jose Ferrer, um, Rosemary Clooney's uncle, I think. And uh, he was uh, as Dorothy, he was standing with him in an elevator and uh, he asked Jose Ferrer, if he could his and uh after a long pause ferrer said not right now thank you and then later he uttered to someone else 
who was that scumbag of a woman? <laughs> That's my quote of the day. Very funny clip on Letterman if you, if you uh, have a chance yes. to watch it. That's a great one. That's a great one. Todd, bring us home. Uh, my quote comes from uh, Jessica Lang, and she, she's kind of talking about her career, I think, at this point. And it, it, uh, I relate. It's a, she says, I have nothing left to lose at this point. The work I've done is out there. And 195 episodes in, I know we've had some regrettable moments. That it's out there. Like, we got nothing to lose at this point. <laughs> well played. Well played. And with that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.